Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. I am Sethi Sethi Panic. And I am the rightful ruler of Outworld, Eric Khan. It's certainly been an exciting past couple days of news with the Super Mario 35th Anniversary Direct, but, Seth, I kind of went back to thank the Forest Sage for lifting the pun ban and kind of came back with the baby metacore. Uh, sorry. He said he thought we needed to learn some responsibility or something. I know I said we wouldn't tamper with magic anymore, but I just couldn't leave him there. He's just so cute with his little snake tail. Yeah, uh-huh. sorry. I stopped listening at Super Mario 35th Anniversary Direct. This is amazing. Dude, we've got to break this all down in our main segment this week. I'm, I'm excited too, but don't forget, we've also got this week's indie showcase on Takeshi and Hiroshi. And we've got our top five. We're going to be ringing in Labor Day weekend by counting down the hardest working characters to ever appear on Nintendo consoles. And I'll say it again, Seth, we have a baby manticore now. Whoa, dude, have you seen this direct? This is unbelievable. There's so much to take in. This is clearly the craziest thing I'm going to see today. Well, I really cannot wait to see Seth's reaction once he's done freaking out about Mario. (laughs) Well, I tried to tell him, guys. It's time to go all in. Okay, seriously, a manticore? The sage may as well have given you a dragon. Dude, think about it. Why in the world would a forest sage keep around a creature who literally breathes fire? And oh, look at look at the little lion face. How could you hate that? <laughs> Whatever. Look, you're cleaning up after it. You're gonna feed it, and and that's you know that's all I gotta say. If it destroys something in the HQ, that's on you. This is Seth. This is our baby. Let me guess, you've already, like, named it and stuff, haven't you? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, little Eric. All right, then, Eric Prime. We've got a show to do. What's been going on this week? Nothing much. Let me set the little guy down right here. There you are, buddy. Just stay right there. Uh, well, yeah, it has certainly been a big week, especially the past couple of days. We've been still trying to wrap our minds around everything. But I specifically... Uh, started playing Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Very excited to talk about that. Obviously, something happened that very much, you know, had we had to put that on the back burner. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that soon, but we have, I have been putting a lot of time into Crystal Chronicles since I picked that up. Uh, you and I together actually played through Streets of Rage 4 this past week, a few days we ago. We did. We did. That was so much fun. That was so much fun. And especially for like an indie game. What a great online connection that had. Yeah, we really had basically no issues. We had a little one just because there was a massive thunderstorm going on uh, for a while. But honestly, aside from that, we had a really solid connection the entire time. I just had so much fun with that. I, I, I played the big grappler character, this Samoan cyborg in the game named Floyd. And I was just almost in tears laughing just from picking up enemies and throwing them off of elevators or outside of windows i just oh my yeah. it was so funny just picking people up and just like gone 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 just yes ch- chucking them across the room outside of a window 
I just found that immensely satisfying. Anytime there is any semblance of open space, like if there is space sufficient for you to throw a person through it, a person was getting thrown through it, basically. <laughs> just how many times did I pick somebody up? Just gone, gone. <laughs> Floyd honestly kind of breaks a few of those sections. <laughs> he really does. But, oh man, that was such a great game. My copy finally came in from Limited Run Games. I love, love their stuff. We'll be talking about them a little bit in the news roundup. But they, man, their products are so, so great. Been waiting on Streets of Rage 4, and it certainly did not disappoint. Uh, still been working on Ukulele. Still been working a little bit on Yoshi's Crafted World. So, between Streets of Rage and Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles and Ukulele and Yoshi's Crafted World. And honestly, I've also been... I, I don't know why, but I also kind of got a little bug in my ear to to rewatch a lot of the old Marvel movies. A lot of it did have to yeah. do with the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman. Rest in peace. He seemed like a of course. phenomenal human being by all accounts. Uh, very much going to miss him. But I, I did watch Black Panther and I watched a few other Marvel movies this past week. Uh, in addition to trying to play all of these amazing games for our little amazing podcast for you wonderful listeners of ours. But uh, between that and the movies and trying to take care of a infantile mythical creature, uh, I don't know. Hadn't been, hadn't been too exciting, I guess. Well, before my brains were blown out of my head by the Mario explosion this week, uh, <laughs> It's it's been an interesting one for me. Like I kind of touched on last week, uh, my wife and I evacuated from Hurricane Laura. We're currently staying with some friends. Wanted to shout them out really quickly. Actually, wanted to shout out our friends Amanda and Kevin, who just publicly announced that they are expecting their first child. So, congratulations Woo! to them. Yeah, Amanda, Kevin, gonna have to get them a little baby manticore uh, onesie. <laughs> yeah, so they're they're expecting their first child. We've been staying with them. Very grateful. For them providing a safe harbor for us but um, we did just get news today that power has been restored to our area thankfully uh finally after a little over a week of downtime yeah and uh yeah we will be heading home tomorrow uh so yeah looking forward to that but while i've been kind of here you know still working on the podcast thankfully still able to do kind of my normal workflow stuff um, yeah, I've been kind of messing around with, uh, Animal Crossing, the new September stuff, the new bugs and fish and sea creatures and all that fun stuff is now available in Animal Crossing for the month of September. So that's been fun. I've got to do that. Uh, yeah. So much, but I need to do, I even missed the, um, the Paper Mario Origami King. Uh, I did too. The Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Spirit event. There's just so much going on. It's ridiculous, man. Like I literally, I posted that to our social media feeds and I meant to turn it on and do that. And, and now I didn't. And now I got to wait for like six months from now for them to finally work that into the normal rotation. So I'm a little annoyed. Oh, well, is what it is. Playing a bunch of Crystal Chronicles. Um, we are still doing a review for that in the very near future. But again, Mario explosion happened. And, uh, and we've sort of recalibrated our schedule upcoming. We will talk more about that next week. Uh, but there is still a review for Crystal Chronicles incoming. Been playing a whole bunch of that and enjoying it. One last game I wanted to shout out just really quickly. 
uh, before we move into the news is Samurai Jack Battle Through Time. Ah, I want to play it. I've been playing a considerable amount of this game, and I got to tell you, for a licensed video game based on a Cartoon Network property, this game is better than it has any right to be. It really is. That's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, like, it just... I'm not saying it's, like, amazing 10 out of 10 or whatever, but it definitely is scratching, like, a nostalgic itch of, like, PS2 games. Like, it's got that kind of, like, action-adventure with a little bit of, like, modern combat. Like, I actually am really impressed with the combat. It's way deeper than you expect. There's, like, a pretty intense, like, skill tree, and the combat is almost, like, Dark Souls light a little bit. It's, It's actually, like... A pretty impressive little game, and some of the levels are massive. The entire voice cast have reprised their roles. Oh, no kidding. Phil Lamar comes back? Phil Lamar comes back. Obviously, uh, I'm blanking on the actor's name. The the, the guy who voiced uh, Aku, who uh, who unfortunately oh, passed uh- away. Mako. Yeah, Mako and uh you know but but he had like a professional, you know, voice double who kind of took the reins for him after he passed away and he he is voicing Aku here. Um yeah, everybody's come back. Uh, John DiMaggio, Scotsman, you know, everybody. Nice. Nice. Yeah, everybody. So, it's it's pretty legit. It's it's done right. Like in terms of of like for what it is, for it being like a $40 action you know kind of game in the samurai jack license it's the best version of what i expected it to be so that's that's pretty much what i'll say about that if you are a samurai jack fan if you're looking for a fun little romp i i can pretty wholeheartedly recommend this i I think you'll be surprised and impressed as i am been having a, a pretty good time with it well once i finally get my copy in and we get some time together with it we might have to showcase it a little bit yeah yeah, I would love to talk some more about it. I, I haven't finished it yet, but I, I again, uh, just having a really good time with it. Really impressed by it for for what it is. But uh, that's about all I've got. Sir, you ready to talk about some news? You know what? I am indeed ready to... I'm going to pet the little guy one more time. Yes, I'm ready to talk about some news. He's so cute. All right, well, let's do it. Hey, listen! Well, as I have alluded to a few times now, and I, I've sort of finally calmed down from what I have lovingly referred to as the Mario explosion, the Super Mario 35th Anniversary Direct, which was just like a megaton of Mario-related news that is... I don't know about you, but this is like, as a Nintendo fan, exactly what I wanted to hear from Nintendo. Uh, Yeah, I mean, admittedly, there are a few things in here that weren't necessarily surprising however right there were some pretty nice surprises it was funny because i was talking to you as we're playing streets of rage 4 and there's been like kind of rumors about it maybe happening this week and stuff and i was like man if this happens it would just be such a like warm cleanse for the soul with all the nastiness of 2020 and all the stuff like everybody's been kind of saying all the conjecture about Nintendo and how quiet they've been. This was just a really nice like salvo of Nintendo news and Mario news. And I'm just so happy about this. But of course, we have got some full detailed thoughts. We're going to break it all down. The Mario 35th anniversary direct later on in the show as our main segment. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Absolutely. Cannot Wait, super stoked. You know what I got to say? I was also super stoked for Gamescom uh, this past week. It started last weekend, and we promised we would have a full breakdown for you guys in this episode. 
and unfortunately it kind of turns out there's not too much to break down as far as Nintendo news out of the entire event. As far as Nintendo is concerned, the only two games and correct me if I'm wrong, Seth, the only two games that were even mentioned for the switch were Lego star Wars, the Skywalker saga and little nightmares Two. Correct. I think that's right. I mean, I have kind of combed, the Gamescom news to see if there's anything else. If if there's something we missed, uh, be sure to reach out at All In on Facebook, at All In Podcast on Twitter. Be sure to reach out if we if we did happen to miss something that we should be covering. But yeah, as far as I can tell, there really was not much in in the way of Switch news uh, covered during Gamescom. Yeah, um, to kind of touch on what you're talking about, both of these involve delays. As a matter of fact, now we did see two new trailers for both Lego Skywalker Saga and Little Nightmares 2. Both of them looked great, especially Lego Skywalker Saga. I cannot wait to play that game, man. I'm so hyped for that. The (laughs) gameplay trailer was amazing. Um, However, it is being delayed to spring 2021, and Little Nightmares 2 is being delayed to February 11th, 2021. So a little bit of a bummer, but... I mean, Little Nightmares, if you haven't played it, fantastic horror indie game. You should definitely, definitely check it out. But uh, obviously Lego Skywalker Saga is quite a bit further on the opposite end of the spectrum. Hmm. But really, really interesting that the entire show, that this this was kind of it. I mean, I know everybody's kind of wide-eyed about the Xbox Series X and the PS5 coming out and everybody's wanting to know about everything they can expect from that. But Nintendo is still very much alive, as they certainly proved a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's, it's interesting. And we've also got Ubisoft forward. The second Ubisoft forward coming next week on the 10th. The first one, the first Ubisoft forward featured uh, nothing in regards to switch. I, th- I think with the exception of their mobile game or Brawlhalla, Brawlhalla was the only game yeah. from Ubisoft forward that was even remotely tied to the switch. So, I mean, We'll see. Obviously, for the last one, I was kind of hoping, praying, predicting, wishing for a Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle sequel. Still hoping for that. Obviously, there was the talk of Brian Lee O'Malley teaming up with Ubisoft for potentially a Scott Pilgrim thing. Uh, we don't even know if that potential thing it would be Switch related. However, uh, between Ubisoft, between Gamescom, it... It, it seems like outside of Nintendo, the company Nintendo, it seems like a lot of people are kind of focusing on the next generation. It's almost as if they've kind of got blinders on. Uh, yeah. Nintendo's kind of had to do most of their own marketing on their own products. It really feels like if it's not, you know, 8K or if it doesn't have the visual fidelity of, you know, a computer that's going to be created 10 years from now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nintendo is playing the cards really close to the chest right now. Right. I mean, we, we sort of talked about this uh, weeks ago when we talked about what we thought their sort of strategy was going to be coming into this fall. And yeah, I think Nintendo is happy to sort of not play it quiet because they've certainly got some exciting stuff coming on the horizon, uh, even just as it relates to Mario. Um, but in terms of like, beating their chest and, and, you know, making a big stink about it. 
I think they're kind of more willing to just do what they do and, you know, let the other guys kind of come out and dominate the headlines while they quietly make all of their money. And then I think we're going to see them next spring with their own new console. So I don't think they're super worried about it. You know, Um, in terms of Ubisoft, I, yeah, I honestly, bold prediction here. I think Scott Pilgrim's going to be there. I would I think so. I would love to see that, and I would love to see a Switch version. I'd absolutely love to see yep. a Switch version. Obviously, we just finished playing a wonderful beat 'em up on the Switch this past week, and would certainly love to see another wonderful beat 'em up on the Nintendo Switch. As a matter of fact, you know, we may be talking about beat 'em ups again here in just a moment. But still interesting. Just, I just want to say this before we move on. It, I just don't want Nintendo to find themselves in the same situation they did. GameCube era, where they're having to basically rely on themselves completely. Obviously, they got a lot of third-party support back in the past couple of years because of just how insanely successful the Nintendo Switch is. But with everybody looking to the next gen and not a lot of people promoting Switch titles, I, I don't want to say that it feels like the industry is moving on from a fad, but the Nintendo shouldn't long-term, it should not be comfortable with having to do all of its own marketing. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's also a question internally with Nintendo of how they want to market this stuff, right? Because, you know, uh, I don't think we're in danger of them losing uh, third-party relationships because, you know, I think that's evidenced in the partner showcases. They've now done two. Uh, they have, you know, they continue to say in the in the second partner showcase that more are still coming. Uh, so we we do know that that they've got more partner showcases on the way. We know about third party partner relationships in development. We know about things like No More Heroes three, Bayonetta three, etc. And uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to continue to see that kind of stuff again. I just really think that it's Nintendo's. I think the onus is sort of on Nintendo right now to to just sort of be quiet, and and I think they're just trying to sort of evaluate uh, where they stand. They they know that they've got to be really careful. And and I think that they're I think that they're just playing a very quiet game of chess right now. <laughs> well, they made a very loud move this week, but yes, again, get into that later. Uh, it's something I'm uh, a little interested about. In though, Seth, tell me, there's something going on with Monster Hunter. Yeah, so I was looking at this. There is a uh, Capcom insider, a supposed Capcom insider, is a guy goes by the name Dusk Gollum online who has been a fairly reliable Capcom source who accurately uh, leaked Capcom news in the past, such as early Resident Evil 8 Village details, as well as he like leaked the existence of uh, the Resident Evil 4 like the, that they're working on, the remake of that, Resident Evil 3 remake, he leaked that in, in pretty explicit detail. So he, he's been reliable in the past. He now claims that a Monster Hunter title is being worked on for the Nintendo Switch, and that is going to be revealed soon. So this could be pretty major. It's actually kind of shocking to me that Monster Hunter has not made its way to the Switch yet. It's really the perfect platform for Monster Hunter. I mean, it really is. I Honestly, Monster Hunter, I've tried it several times. Monster Hunter is one of those things where you either love it or you just can't get into it, I feel. Mm-hmm. And I personally just have always fallen on the cannot get into it side but i certainly respect i have nothing but respect for the franchise it seems by all accounts 
to be a really solid gameplay experience for everybody who is looking for that type of gameplay experience. And everybody who was looking for it on handheld consoles, like the 3DS, it seemed to work really, really well on that platform. So by extension, the Nintendo Switch should be a really good home for a game like that. Yeah, so here's here's what I'll say to you, um, because I used to be in that same camp with you. I, I found the series, I've tried the series probably, you know, six or seven times throughout the years on PSP, on 3DS, you know, you name it. And I found it to be pretty impenetrable. However, when Monster Hunter World came out, Monster Hunter World was the one that clicked for me. Monster Hunter World is where I feel like the series finally made it appeal to everyone. It it did not disappoint the hardcore fans, but it made it sort of approachable enough that new players could kind of wrap their mind around it. And I think that now that they sort of, now that they've kind of cracked that nut, if they can bring a new Monster Hunter to Switch that is as approachable as Monster Hunter World. Monster Hunter World handily is the best-selling game in that entire series. And as a matter of fact, I think it's Capcom's best-selling game of all time at this point. Really? Yeah, Monster Hunter World sold gangbusters. It's it's absurd. And uh, if they have that coming to Switch, that sort of design sensibility, that sort of accessibility, that's going to be massive. Even me, as somebody who is not a huge Monster Hunter fan, I put like 80 hours into Monster Hunter World. Like, I played the crap out of it. <laughs> and it got it, it got its hooks into me. And so this coming onto Switch, you, you take that portability, you take the accessibility of Monster Hunter World with the portability of the Switch, and man... I mean, that that thing is going to sell like crazy. Even if it's just a port of Monster Hunter World, if that's true, if that is Capcom's best-selling game of all time, if it's just a straight port, or if it's an extension, uh, like maybe, like I don't know, Monster Hunter World Try or something. However, you know how Capcom loves its suffixes. But <laughs> if they can, even just beyond being a Monster Hunter game, if they can kind of attach it to that, to Monster Hunter World, then hopefully a lot of that success will ooze out of it as well. Yeah, I just I wanted to make sure that I was right about that. Uh, they they announced that um, since March of 2018, uh, it, it has been the best selling game in the company's 40 year history. <laughs> no kidding! Wow. Yep. Well, I, that certainly lends credence to them wanting to make more of them. And again, with how I, the Switch has passed 60, you know, it's it's probably close to 65 million in lifetime sales at this point. And I'm sure I think it surpassed that at this point. Yeah. It, it wouldn't surprise me, but I'm sure Capcom would certainly love to jump in to get a nice slice of that pie. It just makes sense. And like you said, they, they could literally just port like a complete definitive edition of monster hunter world with Iceborne included. And that would, I mean, that would sell all of the copies. Yeah, probably. The game's already moved like over 15 million units on other platforms. So that's insane. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, bring that on, man. I, I'm into it. I, I definitely would love to see a Monster Hunter on Switch. You know, if it does, I'll give it another try. I'll, I'll, I'll give the Monster Hunter series the old college try for the third time because that's typically how college tries work. So, and because it seems like every week there's another really bizarre Animal Crossing story to talk about. We had the Mayonnaise <laughs> Island. We had the museums doing virtual tours or uh, making their uh, art available as AR, as QR patterns and downloadable patterns. Now, there's another group of people getting into that. 
politicians. <laughs> yes. In yet another weird and wonderful Animal Crossing world story. <laughs> the 2020 Democratic presidential ticket of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have officially made QR codes available to use to create Biden-Harris campaign signs for your Animal Crossing New Horizons Island. Yep. And <laughs> I mean, I love the game, but shut it down. Like that's <laughs> this is this is this is the uh this is this this edition of Pokemon Go to the polls. Uh, it's just uh, like that's I, I I'm literally speechless. I I don't know what to say <laughs> about this. Like video games There's not much to say. Video games and politics have never played nicely together. I mean the entire reason we have the ESRB is because of nonsense and with politicians. Not saying that I don't think the ESRB is I I I think it's a good system. I am glad we have it. Oh yeah, me too. Look, again, not to, we're not going to get into politics on this show, but like the no. SRB is the reason that the government is staying out of video games. So, I'm happy it exists too. But yeah, it is a little bit weird and off-putting to see official like presidential campaigns trying to like be hip and cool and like get the gamers. It's like Exactly. It's it's like Joe Biden trying to show up wearing a backwards cap like I'm cool yeah. youngsters. Yeah. We How know do you do, fellow young people. Yeah. We know what's popular with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's just so weird. Like I can dig going to Hellman's Mayonnaise Island. I I really can dig checking out museum artwork, but I don't care what my decision making is which candidate i'm ever going to support i am never and i don't use the word never lightly because i have had to eat those words quite a bit in my <laughs> life but i am never going to have a political campaign sign in the front yard of my house in animal crossing yeah l let me put it to you this way my animal crossing island the beautiful island of hotaru which i've been to is beautiful can confirm is beautiful. <laughs> that island is an escape from the real world. And no matter what my political leanings are, I am not bringing real world politics into my Animal Crossing island. No thank you. Goodbye. Now, can I just real quick? I just you 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 brought up the art museum thing a couple of times. Real quick, little micro rant here. I had Red visit my island for like maybe <laughs> the fifth time ever today. And would you believe that that dirt bag brought all fake pieces of art to my island? I completely believe it because he's a dirt bag, dude. I was so mad that I, I was like, I got super excited. I saw he's on my island. He never comes to my island. I'm like, oh great, you know. And I get in there, and sure enough, every single solitary piece of art on that ship was fake. I was like, you've got to be kidding me, dude. Anyway, <laughs> micro rant over. <laughs> I'm sorry. But oh, uh, well. we'll see what wonderful, bizarre, and zany Animal Crossing news we'll have for you guys next week. Because I'm sure something will happen. Something's bound to happen. But that is kind of one of the reasons that uh, the game is just so amazing, frankly. Just all the insane things that have happened just in the first half year that it's been out. Gives us something to laugh about. It certainly does. Now, another kind of news subject that we have seemed, thankfully, 
to be talking about a lot is new releases for legacy hardware. We, Mm -hmm. we do have another one of those this week because for those who follow limited run games, I already shouted them out for streets of rage four. They, they do fantastic work. They have dead tomb from the NES that just became available yesterday, Friday, September 4th and is now available for pre-order. Dead Tomb on the NES is getting re-released through limited run games. And, uh, man, this this surge of releases for legacy hardware does my heart good. I mean, I almost feel like I need to like create a uh, a segment stinger for <laughs> for highlighting legacy uh legacy hardware releases at this point it's happening so often. <laughs> it feels like it and I'm okay with that. I am perfectly okay with that. Now, uh, that one just became available yesterday. However, there is another independent physical game publisher who has an NES title whose pre-orders end tomorrow. It is Project Blue on the NES through First Press Games. Okay. So if you are listening to this the weekend it comes out, and this interests you. Project Blue was a kickstarted game from a couple years ago, I believe. But it's getting a physical release through First Press Games, the same company that we told you about with the Game Boy Color game Poa. Powa. Uh, that pre-order ends September 6th, Sunday, September 6th, tomorrow. So if you're listening to this, the first weekend it comes out, check that out. Uh, and then check cool. out Dead Tomb. Uh, just uh, again, we will always let you guys know when these legacy hardware releases are happening just because it's so cool when it does. Well, I had another kind of cool thing float by my uh, float by my Twitter feed earlier this week that I absolutely had to shout out because I'm a huge fan back on the 3DS. The games have been re-released on the Switch, but I was a huge fan of the Gunman Clive games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the 3DS. Yes, the uh, sort of Mega Man esque uh, kind of three D, three D, two D kind of uh, 2.5 platformer D. shooters. Yeah, uh, really cool art style to them. Really nice animation. Uh, really unique games. Well, the maker of that series, and I apologize, I'm not going to try to pronounce your name. He's a Swedish gentleman and has a uh, has an appropriately uh, difficult to pronounce name. So I'm I'm not going to butcher it. Uh, however, he is making a new game, a beat 'em up called Super Punch Patrol. And not only is that coming out for Switch, it's coming out on September 17th, and it's coming out for just $4.99. So that's on my radar. It's the the aesthetic for Gunman Clive was essentially a 2.5D sketch. Right. It looks like sketch art, like kind of like, like roughly drawn sketch art, almost constantly moving. Like it looks like it leapt right off of a notebook page. I mean, it really does. It's almost as if every frame was individually sketched and it's just a flip book, like a pencil sketch. It's a really, really interesting aesthetic. Gunman Clive 1 and 2 both had this aesthetic and Super Punch Patrol continues this, you know, visual motif. Yeah, I mean, when I describe the game to you, like, hey, the maker of Gunman Clive is making a 2D, like, beat-em-up brawler, I basically said, what your mind creates when I tell you that is exactly what it is. <laughs> and I immediately messaged you back. It's like, yep, you were right. Uh, I mean, look, that it is that art style, but in a really interesting-looking 2D brawler. Now, admittedly, Gunman Clive 
you know, these games are not super long. They're, they're not. not like super deep, um, but they're inexpensive and they're a lot of fun. And I, I think this is going to be very much in line with that. And I mean, look, it's such a low asking price uh, for me. Like as long as it's a really good handful of hours, I, I'm good with that. You know what I mean? Like I'm totally good with that. Uh, definitely going to be checking this out. It is unfortunate that it's coming out the day before Mario. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But, you know, still looking forward to it. Well, I mean, honestly, I, we, we could probably finish that in a couple hours anyway. It's probably going to be the kind of thing you can turn on and finish in the same afternoon, but still. Oh, I'm sure. We'll definitely have to check out the eShop in a couple weeks when that comes out. Actually, uh, speaking of the eShop, we do have a quick update on that. Obviously, anybody who has seen the eShop in the past day or so knows that it did get a little hmm. bit of a makeover. However, that was not the only augment that the eShop received this week. Just a small little update, but a very welcome one. Uh, pre-orders can now be canceled up to seven days prior to the release of the game. Your method of payment will no longer be charged at the time of the pre-order. It'll be charged when it actually gets released. And you actually get to see like, well, when you're looking at a game and it says it's on sale, now there's a little tag that says how long the sale is going on for, how much longer the games are on sale. So the eShop mm -hmm. did get patched. Like I said, it is a small thing, but it is, I, I think, very helpful. A lot more, I think it's a lot more meaningful than it seems on the surface. I think it's going to be really helpful in, in helping people make decisions on what to buy. Well, it's really nice for the for the sale thing because I mean it'll literally tell you down to the hour uh, how long or how much longer uh, the game in, in question is on sale for, which is really nice because you know the eShop can at any given time be running multiple sales from various publishers, so it is nice to have that feature built in now to sort of keep track of all of that. But in terms of the pre order change, that's also kind of nice for people who kind of change their minds like up to release. Now basically the way it's gonna work is is no longer a flat pre purchase. You now basically, you know, hit a button and say, Hey, I'm going to buy this game. I am pre ordering this game and seven days ahead of the release, they will then charge you and uh, and you have up until that point, up until a week before the release to cancel your pre-order. So it kind of makes it quick and painless. Now you will not get your uh, gold coins or anything like that, of course, until the payment is finalized. That's a good point. That, that's just something kind of worth knowing if you are the type of person who, you know, wants to pre-order a game, but you know, you're kind of flip-flopping about it. You can do so kind of more safely now and know that you have that window of time to cancel. Yeah, it's really nice to see how hard at work Nintendo has been on doing even little things like improving the eShop experience. And, you know, speaking of hard work, it is Labor Day weekend and... Hey, uh, hey, little Eric's kind of wandering off there. He's, he's, oh, he's just going downstairs. He'll be fine. I mean, how much damage can a manticore do anyway? But uh, I'm sure he'll be okay for a while, buddy. But uh, I, I mean, I need you to focus because we've got a top five. Like I said, it's Labor Day weekend, and we thought we would celebrate the hardest working characters in Nintendo's long history. So how about it, buddy? You ready to do this top five? Let's do it. So to kick off our list of the top five most hardworking characters to appear on a Nintendo console, don't, don't laugh at me for this one, okay? Totally going to laugh. I'm absolutely, completely going to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, we all kind of know that image of classic Americana, the idea of when you're a young boy or girl 
and you pick up a paper route. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> My number five is Paperboy from Paperboy. You know what? I respect that. A young kid, you know, first job. I respect that. You know, for a Paperboy, yeah, he, he works pretty hard. He puts himself out there. I mean, look, you're having to wake up at the crack of dawn, you know, to, to deliver these newspapers. Now, in Paperboy in particular, you're having to dodge like dogs and cars and I mean, every now and then, if you break a couple of windows, that's an honest mistake. It happens. Just comes out of your paycheck. <laughs> yeah. And, but and also, you got to understand, too, he's he is slandered in the paper also. Slandered or, or praised, depending on his performance. That's a little interesting nugget to it. So he's actually being like publicly reviewed <laughs> for his job performance. In the very paper he is delivering. You know, I've got to say, if you're working so hard at your job as a paper boy that it becomes a legit news story, I, I, I got to say, that's a pretty hardworking kid right there. I respect that. That's a pretty, that is a pretty hardworking paper boy. You're making waves as a paper boy at that point. I got to respect that. Young entrepreneur. You know what? You, you think about that, that game, the concept at least, has not really aged very well, because I would love to see a young person play that game. It's like, why is he throwing paper in people's front yards? It's like, no, it's it's, yeah. it's a newspaper. It's like, yeah, but people just read those on their phones. Why aren't people just reading those on their phones? It's like, I was like, oh, child, oh, young one, no, you sweet summer child. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even even the very concept of newspapers is sort of antiquated at this point, but. Now, I did want to I did want to have a quick side story. I told you this just a minute ago before we started recording, but I wanted to say it on the show because it's just so funny and bizarre that I felt like I, I the, the audience needs to hear it too. So, we're staying uh, right now at a friend's house, uh, as I mentioned last week on the show, evacuated from Hurricane Laura. Um, we're currently staying with uh, with some friends, and <laughs> my wife. She, one of them is pregnant and, and, and my wife is helping her sort of clean out um, the, the top floor that we're staying at. And one of the things that we find as she's cleaning out the top floor <laughs> is nothing, nothing but a NES cartridge of Paperboy. This is after I've already constructed my list, after I've already like thought this out. And she pulled, I'm like, how crazy is that? What a crazy coincidence. That an NES copy of Paperboy would be here at the place we're staying. You've got to find a way to play it. Yeah. <laughs> got to find an NES laying around somewhere. Absolutely. I, I really did. I, I did love Paperboy back in the day. And, you know, hardworking kids. Shout out to you, Paperboy. Yeah. It, probably a, a, a young video game studio owner at this point. I would hope he's not still delivering papers. Anyway. Yeah. That's my number five. What's yours? Well, for my number five, it's a character that hasn't been around super long, but has certainly made the rounds already in the short time that he has been around. My number five is Shovel Knight. Mm, the Blue Burrower. The Blue Burrower. Not to be confused with the Blue Bomber. Not to be confused with the Blue Blur. We are talking about Yacht Club Games poster boy of chivalry himself. Now, obviously he has his own game. Obviously he has uh, all the different spinoff campaigns of his own game with Plague Knight and Specter Knight uh, and King Knight. Right. But there's also Shovel Knight Showdown. 
that he appears in as a playable character. We've got the upcoming games already, Shovel Knight uh, Dig, Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. But like in addition to that, though, like check out this list of games that he has already appeared in just in the handful of years since that initial release. Came out, what, 2015, I think? Yeah. Adventures of Pip, Two Brothers, Road Redemption, Cook Serve Delicious, The Reward, Tales of Alethrion, Sea Wars, Runbow, All-Stars Dungeons and Diamonds, Mutant Muds, Dino Run, Azure Striker Gunvolt, <sighs> Creepy Castle, Ukulele, Blaster Master, Aegis Defenders, Bit Trip, Indie Pogo, Blade Strangers, Rivals of Ether, Brawlhalla, Super Smash Brothers, and technically Bloodstained. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> that, that guy gets around. Yeah. That's just in the past few years since that game's release. He has appeared in just about every indie game, it feels like. So that's a hard working night. A hard working night. Let's not let's not forget the fact that he also has two amiibo. Yes. The regular Shovel Knight amiibo. And the Golden Amiibo. Yeah, so he gets around in the physical world as well. So yeah, I got to respect that. Shovel Knight, you know, that's that's the crazy thing. That's why I actually would have honestly petitioned for him to be an actual playable fighter in Smash for a long time there. But you know what? I'm happy to have him as an assist trophy. And many of those games that I mentioned, he does show up as a playable character. Yeah. Oh yeah, he is my go-to playable character in Runbow. So. <laughs> Runbow, I do want to play Blade Strangers. He's got a weird, like, super beefy look in Blade Strangers, though. Funny cameo in ukulele also. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you think about that, like, most video game characters, like, in terms of crossovers and cameos and playable appearances in other franchises, uh, like, Mario is basically the only other thing, the only other character that even comes close. And Shovel Knight's only been out for, like, half a decade. Right. So, yeah. So, I salute you, Shovel Knight. Man, get that money. He <laughs> works hard for the money. Mm. Mm. <laughs> get them gems. Yeah, no kidding. For chivalry. For chivalry. Well, my number four, if you've ever played the hectic co-op experience that is Overcooked, <laughs> you know how hardworking the the manic chefs of overcooked are as they're running around frantically trying to prepare these orders. So my number four are the chefs of overcooked. Any job that you basically need to have hypertension inset already as a pre-existing condition just to be a playable character. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. My, my wife and I, and my wife works in the food industry, so she can handle it more, more readily than I can. She can sort of rise to the challenge better than I can. But for me, like I get super stressed out playing Overcooked because it is such it, it is hard work. Like it is stressful having all those orders stack up and having to run around and all the various dangers and and challenges Overcooked throws at you. The game is super fun, but man, it's it's hard. And it, it'll do. I mean, if you've never worked in the food industry before, it will it will make you respect the food industry. <laughs> you know, I really want to play it. I haven't played either Overcooked one or two yet. I really should. It's a lot of fun. Like couch co-op, it's it's a lot of fun. Overcooked Two, I think, even has online co-op. Uh, both games are available on the Switch eShop. I, I highly recommend it for for a good co-op experience. Just you know, 
be, be ready to want to tear each other's you know hair out <laughs> oh dude if, if you like if you were flying on the wall when my wife and i if you didn't drop the stupid tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's my number four what's yours well my number four he he doesn't work quite as hectically most of the time hmm. however for a defense attorney ah that man does a lot of course, I'm talking about the Ace Attorney himself, Phoenix Wright. So across six playable appearances in the Ace Attorney series, uh, Phoenix has to take on what feels like a hundred different cases. And he's always got his assistant, Maya, but the amount of work that he puts in and the amount of enthusiasm and exuberance that he puts in to his job. Man, talk about a guy who was made to be a defense attorney. And of course, everybody always goes back to that iconic, you know, courtroom interruption. Objection. Objection. Yeah. You know, uh, shameful gamer confession time. Really? I've never played a Phoenix Wright game. Wow. Yep. Never. I own them. I, I, I bought the trilogy on 3DS and I bought it. I even have it on my Switch, but I've never played them. But I mean, even beyond all the investigation and the courtroom drama and everything that you actually do within the game, even within the canon of the game, he starts this law firm with a partner. The partner winds up getting murdered, so he has to wind up taking over complete control of the law firm when it was two people initially. Then, of course, he goes through all of this stuff. He winds up losing his license uh, his law license has to get that back. And then eventually he gets to the point where he's so renowned. He goes to work developing a new legal system for a country. Wow. So even within the canon of the game, outside of the actual gameplay itself, like this dude does a lot. As far as lawyers go, he's a good one. Respect. That's pretty crazy. Respect. <laughs> and of course, somewhere inside all of that, he did find time to save the universe against the threat of Galactus in Ultimate <laughs> Marvel versus Capcom 3. So that's very true. That's very true. In addition to defending the wrongfully accused, he did also find time to defend the Earth from cosmic threats as well. Literally, literally using his exclamation of objection as an actual attack. The the ultimate defense attorney in every sense of the word. <laughs> yes. So, great job, Phoenix. Even uh, teamed up with Professor Layton. Definitely check out Phoenix Wright and Professor Layton's crossover. That was a really, really interesting time. Now, I didn't, I didn't play that either, but I, I actually really like the Professor Layton series, and I came very close to putting Luke from Professor Layton on my list. Shout out to Professor Layton, for sure. <laughs> Actually, speaking of honorable mentions, uh, the DS was rife with really interesting experiences like this, and I really almost put Derek Styles from Trauma Center on mine. Oh, wow. Trauma Center's an amazing series on the DS and the Wii. I prefer the DS versions, but if you haven't, if you haven't played it, go check those out. Sorry, small rant, back to the list. Well... Continue on my list for number three, another, I guess, paper pusher, but also has no problem getting her hands dirty, Isabel from Animal Crossing. Oh, oh, <laughs> the most lovable paper pusher ever. But I mean, talk about hard worker, especially in New Leaf, where she was first introduced, like... She works tirelessly as your secretary, as the mayor secretary. You, of course, playing the mayor. Isabel is just 
She's always there for every little event in your town. She's she's up day and night. I mean, like, she she quite literally, and even in New Horizons where she appears again, she's always the one doing the morning announcements after you unlock her in the game and stuff. And she's just, she like you say, she's lovable. She's adorable. She never loses that sunny disposition, even in the face of all of her obscene hours. Yeah, yeah, she never leaves the office. She, she very, only just this month for the- For the uh, fireworks. The firework thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this past month, she's left the office for that. But other than that, she literally lives in that office. Now, does she watch a little TV on occasion? Of course, she has no problem talking about her favorite TV shows during the morning announcements. And she does but, lose socks occasionally. She loses socks occasionally as well. But you know what? I, I Just like I said about Paperboy, I think you were afforded that when you were working so hard. So Isabel, the adorable dog secretary from the Animal Crossing series, I, you just can't help but love her. I do absolutely love her. And I, I legitimately, I know she's just an NPC in a video game, but I would be legitimately okay if they turned off El- Isabel's functions in the game for about a month just to let her go on a cruise or something yeah give her a break man yeah i'd be okay i was like you know what i don't need that let her go on a trip it's like she's just a video game it's like i don't care give her a break give her a vacation and i mean yeah does tom nook handle stuff like the actual island renovation stuff yeah but the ins and outs the having to deal with the residents and stuff like that i mean that's that's all on isabel's shoulders man the town tune, the flags, the you know, that's all on her. So and she's so non-confrontational. Every time you say you want to talk to her about one of the island residents, she gets all like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. It's adorable. So shout out to Isabel. For my number three, I have got to go with a character who has been continuing over several centuries to burn the midnight oil. Okay. I am talking about Zero from the Mega Man X. Oh, that's a great pick, yes. Slash Mega Man Zero. Slash Mega Man ZX series. The persistence. Yes. (laughs) And also in Mega Man Command Mission, where he's playable in the prologue, and I think uh, the last couple chapters. But yeah, by the time you start the X series, Zero is already a well-established Maverick Hunter, while as X is very much the the rookie-style character. Right. So he's already been putting in the work, quote unquote. And, you know, if you haven't played these games, go back and check them out. But s- minor spoilers for the next couple minutes. He basically dies at the end of Mega Man X, but then mm-hmm. is rebuilt, resurrected and brought back for the remainder of the X series, dies again <laughs> and then is they actually use the term resurrection at the beginning of the Mega Man Zero franchise. Oh, wow. But after a ton of adventures in the X series, he moves on to the Zero franchise a century later, gets resurrected, and has to fight in yet another Reploid War against Dr. Wheel and Omega. And then after multiple adventures, after Zero, One, Zero, Two, Zero, Three, and Zero, Four, he dies again. After all that, after saving the world countless times, he gets... He winds up dying on a space station that hurdles its way into Earth. But he's still not technically done, even at that point. They take his spirit and they craft it into a biometal. And then use that biometal 
as a way to transform into Mega Man Model Z for the ZX franchise. And even then, he's still putting in the work. He's still helping defend the world. He's still helping fight the forces of evil, literally across four separate series, if you include Command Mission. Man, it just, again, it's, it's impressive. Again, the, the persistence, <laughs> the, uh, the unwillingness to die. <laughs> yeah. Keeps dying, keeps getting resurrected continuing to save the world across multiple centuries, across multiple multi-installment franchises. I mean, dude, Zero, take a nap, man. We got this. Yeah, you can actually just relax now, buddy. It's, it's going to be all right. And if you want to check out any of Zero's adventures, the Mega Man Zero and ZX collection that just came out this year on the Nintendo Switch is an absolutely fantastic collection. You should Definitely go pick that up. Yeah, I need to. I own them all because I just, you know, I, I just like having all the Mega Man games on my Switch. But uh, I, I definitely need to make the time to play through that entire series because they're they're great. Yeah, they really are. And I know the 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 collection treatment's great too. So yeah, absolutely pick that up if you haven't already. Well, for my number two, I want you to to sort of go on this journey. Put yourself in a in a mental hypothetical. Imagine that. Imagine if you will. Imagine if you will. <laughs> I know it's probably very hard for us and many of our listeners to imagine a world where we're working at a job that we're not happy at. And we are sort of doing the, the typical nine to five, putting in the hours. All of a sudden, we get a letter from our grandfather who has passed away and has left us in his will the deed to his farm. And it is up to us. <laughs> To, to completely restructure and rebuild his farm into something special in Stardew Valley. My number two is you in Stardew Valley. Me? <laughs> yes. You, the, uh, the player in Stardew Valley. The amount of work that is required to build up your farm. And it would have been easy. You know, I, I debated on putting... I, I really tried to stick with one series per entry here because it would have been easy to include something like Animal Crossing as well, but I, I wanted to highlight Isabel. But Stardew Valley, the amount... You know, before you really do anything, you have to clear out the land. You have to build your, your farm up from scratch, getting resources to eventually have things like animals, having to go into the mines and fighting monsters... As in, you know, talk about hardworking. There is a literal energy meter. You are literally working out all of the potential energy that your character has in a day. Like you are actually literally working yourself to the bone. It's measurable. And if and you can actually work yourself so hard that you run out of energy and you collapse and pass out. So if that's not hardworking, I don't know what is. And you wake up at like six o'clock in the morning every day or five o'clock or something like that. And you work basically as long as you're able to until either you pass out because it's so late or you pass out because you have no energy. And then in, in the midst of all that, you're building relationships with, with people. You're, you know, doing various like town events. I mean, it's a, it, you know, you are a hardworking farmer in this game. Stardew Valley, obviously a spiritual successor to Harvest Moon, but... Yeah, stuff like that, Farmville, those types of gardening sims, those types of life simulators, they're, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. Good pick. Well, what's your number two? 
All right. Well, for my number two, uh, I'm actually going to get somewhat serious. Okay. My number two is Madeline from Celeste. Mm. Yep. Yep. Can totally see what, what you're driving at there. The obvious takeaway from having Madeline at my number two is just how punishingly difficult Celeste can be to the point where each individual level has its own death counter because you'll just be dying so many times. And it is a, in many places, a pixel perfect platforming adventure up to the top of Celeste Mountain, which by itself is difficult. Trying to climb a mountain like that with basically no equipment but your wits, right? that's one thing. Being able to get to the top of that mountain, that's one thing. That's already hard work. However, if you've ever heard anything about Celeste, you know that the game, the themes of the game and the narrative of the game are very much focused on mental health. And the entire reason Madeline is doing this is to prove it to herself that she's good enough because she does struggle very much so with her mental health. And yes, anybody who's ever had to struggle that much with their mental health knows that it can legitimately take most of your energy already in a given day just to be able to function normally. Like it's all 100%. It's already a lot more work just just to live, just to exist. So knowing that she's already going through all of that and throughout the course of the game literally fighting her inner demons, overcoming that level of mental anguish and then going on to get to the top of Celeste Mountain is a frankly Herculean feat. And especially if you accept the canon that she goes through the B and C sides of Celeste Mountain as well. And again, if you've ever struggled with mental health, uh, I really think that you should play Celeste. The game starts, the first screen of the game is just a small line of text saying, you can do this. Yeah, that I, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to, myself included, as somebody who has dealt with, you know, mental health issues my entire life and stuff. And I, that's definitely playing Celeste was a very therapeutic experience for me. And it is, it, like, it is hard work. There, you know, there's definitely a point to be made there. And I think that Celeste is something we can wholeheartedly recommend to all of our listeners, not just because it is a fantastic game just on a, on the surface of it. But because, yeah, there there is such a such an obstacle to overcome with mental health and and it takes hard work to get over it. And Celeste really drives that home. That's a great pick. Yeah. So that was that was my serious pick. So if you have a chance, <laughs> definitely check out Celeste, which friend of the show, Greg Lobanov, was able to put his little stamp on with a little strawberry pie. Yes. You should go back and listen to that interview. That's our first episode. First episode. And we had a great Great interview with Greg Labanov, and yeah, he he sort of talks about his little contribution to Celeste there. <laughs> well, my number one pick is also a serious pick, <laughs> unfortunately. So I'm sorry if this uh, if this feels like a downer. So hopefully your number one can bring us up from all of this. But I I, I almost I, I can almost guarantee you I know what you're about to say. But go ahead. Okay. The, this was the character that 
entered my mind when, when we first had the idea to do this top five this week. The character that first entered my mind, you know, The Legend of Zelda is my favorite video game series. The, the character that first enters my mind is the postman from The Legend of Zelda. Um, particularly his appearance in The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. And there's a reason for that. Because, you know, the Postman is kind of an iconic character, especially for people who have played various games in the series. He's appeared in uh, Oracle of Ages, Minish Cap, Twilight Princess, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks. He's appeared in many games, but that first appearance of Majora's Mask, he's an ever-present person running around in Clocktown, delivering mail to the various denizens. And as things progress, and, and this is another situation where I'm going to have to talk about spoilers a little bit, so... Spoiler warning for Majora's Mask, I suppose, but as things progress, and you can do various side quests that involve the postman throughout the course of the game, but you begin to learn just the extent of how committed the postman is to his job when you find like you find out little things about him the more time you spend with him the more side quests you do that that involve his interaction where you learn that he takes these like little quick naps throughout the day but otherwise he's constantly running around in half hour incre- increments like touching on all the post boxes and and delivering mail to everybody but as we get to the final day and at this point you know the the, the whole crux of majora's mask is that you've got 3 days before the moon crashes and kills everybody but As you come into the final day, you know, he is not unaware of his fate. He is not unaware of what's happening. Everybody in Clocktown is terrified of their inevitable fate. And he is is no different. However, the delivery schedule is the postman's highest priority. And so he will not allow himself to flee Clocktown because he cannot break his delivery schedule. Which is a super morbid thing. When you stop to think about it, and it becomes even more heartbreaking when on the postman's bed, you can actually find a letter that the postman has delivered to himself. And I'm going to read it for you. The letter says, to myself, you've been doing a great job delivering the mail. I have a request from my hardworking self. All the townsfolk have taken refuge. I want myself to flee too. Even if it is not written on the schedule, I want myself to flee. Please from me and he doesn't do it (laughs) he refuses to break his schedule he is that hard of a worker and i know it's a super morbid and serious thing but i cannot think of anybody else in nintendo history maybe even video game history that works so hard and sticks to their schedule so rigidly that they can't even convince themselves not to do it in the face of destruction so yeah that's my number one (laughs) Neither rain, nor sleet, nor monster moon shall prevent the postman from completing his job. No kidding. It's intense. It's intense stuff and a game full of intense stuff. So, yeah. Sorry that was a bummer. I'm hoping that your number one can bring us up from that. (laughs) Oh, totally. All right. Well, for my number one, uh, he doesn't necessarily stick to a rigid schedule. However... No one, maybe in fictional history, has ever held down as many jobs as Mario. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, objectively. I mean, it's it's not just the countless times that he has saved the perpetually kidnapped princess. It's not just how many adventures he's gone on, but 
Like, even beyond that. And I think Mario Odyssey is kind of the best indicator of this with all of the different costumes from Mario's history. (laughs) Like, Mario has been a chef. Mario has been a referee. Mario has been a virologist. (laughs) With the exception of maybe, like, Mickey Mouse, right? Like, you can't really point to anybody else who has had that checkered history. Yeah. I mean... Just uh, so many different jobs. And he's a professional athlete in so many different sports. And I mean, when you when you look at that, you could conceivably start talking about like, well, you know, what about Luigi? You know, Luigi wound up becoming Dr. Luigi. Luigi has this incredibly uh, lucrative career in ghost busting where he's constantly sucking up gold bars. But true. But Mario just has a... a, a I did the research and Mario just has a much more expansive resume. Uh, Granted, yes, Luigi has joined Mario in quite a few of those jobs, but Luigi, while he became a virologist, has not been a boxing referee, has not been a chef yet, uh, and several other things. So... Well, and it's also worth noting, right, that, you know, for all the Luigi fans, you and I love Luigi, of course. Oh, absolutely. but, But Mario did trailblaze many of these things, so... Credit where credit's due. I mean, Wrecking Crew, Donkey Kong, again, Yoshi's Cookie, and just all, just all of these different vocations, all of these different jobs throughout 30 years of history. It's it's insane. Yeah, can, can we back up a second and, and highlight the fact that one of his early appearances is in a game called literally called Wrecking Crew? I mean, that's a job. Yeah. And then, of course, even beyond... Wrecking Crew, he's been a construction foreman, he's been a cowboy, he's been a scientist, he's been an astronaut, I mean... Competed in various sports. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. He's competed in the Olympics, bro. He's an Olympic athlete. He's been a clown, it's just he's been, you know, professional golfer, he's been a football player, he's been, I mean, everything at this point. Dude, there's I'm actually on Mario's Wikipedia page and there's an entire section called Occupation and Hobbies. <laughs> I'm sure that reads like War and Peace. Well, it's it's a short little section, but they do just highlight the fact that while Mario's occupation is plumbing, his original role in the Donkey Kong series actually is that he's a carpenter. So you can add that to the list. Yeah, he's been a mechanic, he's been a painter. I, I mean, where do you find time to master that many different vocations? I mean, over the course of 35 years, I guess. I guess. But my lord, Mario. I mean, you know what? I respect this, though. Work hard, play hard. And this is true. Mario definitely plays hard. You know, we talk about, you know, being a professional athlete. A lot of those are for fun. You know, Super Mario Party is all for fun. A lot of the different sports spinoffs like Mario Kart and Mario Aces and Mario Sluggers. Mario Strikers, those are all, you know, kind of for fun, but like even in terms of the actual vocations he's been portrayed to have, like that is a ridiculous resume. Like what what job do you even apply for with that type of resume aside from <laughs> hero? Right. <laughs> it's almost like it almost feels like his sort of like quote unquote day job as a hero rescuing the princess is like he's he's probably done that less than other measurable occupations. It's like, oh, the princess got kidnapped again. Man, I was just finishing this still life. Yeah. That's like a it's like a side quest for him at this point. 
<laughs> yeah. So it may, it may be low-hanging fruit, but for my number one, objectively, I couldn't go with anybody other than, than the jack-of-all-trades himself and the master of apparently many, Super hmm. Mario. There's, you know, there's a lot of people who would probably see this being, you know, your number one or, or whatever, us highlighting Mario on the list as, as being, yeah, like you said, low-hanging fruit or too obvious. But I mean, there are certain things that are like, they cross that line of being like so obvious that's just objective. That's just one of those things. Like that Mario, it's an objective fact. You just have to have it on there. Not because it's like a me too sort of thing, but because again, it's just... I mean, we just we just spent the past several minutes telling you why Mario had to be on there. <laughs> so I would love to see somebody actually write out a resume for Mario, like legitimately. I bet I could get a job at Lowe's with Mario's resume. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, this resume is not real. You just you just made up words and put them on here. But those were our individual top five most hardworking characters in Nintendo history. What are yours? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In Podcast. Whatever service you are listening to All In on, make sure to like, subscribe, and leave comments. We very much appreciate you and all of our wonderful listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, Seth, uh, I'll let you take us to the next segment. I've actually got to go feed little Eric. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Just, uh, I guess, hurry back quick so that we can... Uh do our indie showcase this week well in our indie showcase this week we've got another character actually that is hardworking, and you'll know exactly what i'm talking about when we get into it our indie showcase this week is on takeshi and hiroshi so takeshi and hiroshi is yet another uh, game that was shadow dropped during the indie world showcase we're kind of Working through these, as I think we said when that happened, Nintendo just sort of gave us <laughs> gave us some weeks of indie showcases to work on. So we both played through it. We were both sort of intrigued by that initial trailer. It's a very sort of captivating initial trailer with the claymation art style and stuff. This comes to us from Oink Games, and uh, yeah, let's let's get into okay, it. Okay, I'm back. Um, geez, that thing is a voracious eater. Who knows? Who'd have thought mythical creatures eat so much? But yeah, I heard what you were talking about, about the claymation as I was walking back. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you've ever seen the old Rankin Bass, uh, old, mm-hmm. old animated movies, of course, the most famous example of those being stuff like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, stuff like that. That is very much kind of the the style mixed kind of with a little anime. That's, that, that's honestly the best way I can describe the claymation styles. It feels like if Rankin Bass had been done by Tatsunoko. Yeah, that's that's a super great way of describing it, I think, because there's definitely a little bit of anime sensibility in the cutscenes, even despite the fact that the game seems to take place in Japan and the characters seem to be Japanese and such. But uh, let, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's let's tell the folks at home what Takeshi and Hiroshi actually is, because the game is fairly unique. It is very much so. It is technically. An RPG, I guess? It is a very unique gameplay mechanic wrapped up in RPG trappings. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, with typical RPGs, you have your character, you have their equipment, and you have their items, and they go forth into the world to quest and do whatever heroes do, and they occasionally fight monsters and maybe a boss or two, you know, en route to saving the world 
or whatever. In this, that's still true. You have the character, you have their equipment, they still fight monsters, and they are still trying to save a kingdom or a world or something. However, in Takeshi and Hiroshi, you are actually more in control of the monsters. Yeah, so, and, and what what Eric means when he says that is that you are in direct control in that you are actually playing technically as Takeshi, who is programming this game for his for his younger brother Hiroshi to play and to keep him entertained. And, you know, the story sort of involves, it's a very kind of like short story, so I don't want to say too much in, in the risk of spoiling anything, but um, I think it's sort of revealed in the trailer that Hiroshi is ill or, uh, or is in the hospital at, at a certain point and stuff like that. So it's sort of like you're programming a game in real time that your little brother is playing in real time to distract him from his ills. Yeah. So Hiroshi, the younger brother, is super excited, super, super stoked to play his older brother Takeshi's new game that he's been making. And even though it's not finished, so what Takeshi decides to do is to let him play it and then essentially on his laptop, while Hiroshi, his younger brother, is playing through the game, for him to actually, for Takeshi to control Hiroshi's experience in the game in real time. Hey, come on now. That's not what he was doing. He's just doing his homework. Yeah, he's just doing his homework. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, for, for Hiroshi, like he says, for Hiroshi, he is the game. Yes, that kind of becomes this catchphrase a little bit as you get into the gameplay. And like I sort of said last week when I briefly talked about it, that is sort of the flow of the game is like you'll get these sort of claymation cutscenes giving you a little bit of story. Then you get the the sort of meat of the game and then and then you've got cutscene. It's like cutscene gameplay, cutscene gameplay, essentially. It's all sort of driving itself along. It's a very linear experience. It's not as if you've got like multiple branching paths or options or anything no it's very much the experience is the experience is the experience now it's incredibly straightforward but everything we said about the gameplay what it what it essentially boils down to is the fictional game inside of takeshi and hiroshi is called mighty warrior Mm -hmm. and essentially what you're doing is the mighty warrior who is being played by hiroshi you are choosing the monsters that Hiroshi fights. Now, the strategy behind this, and it's actually, once you get into it, once you realize kind of what you're doing, it becomes really, really interesting because the entire point of the game is to choose a monster or monsters that will essentially get Hiroshi down as far, will knock off as much HP as possible, get them down to just as close to being knocked out as possible before he can defeat the monsters. Now, in the gameplay, you are trying to make Hiroshi enjoy the experience. The way Hiroshi enjoys the experience is through the thrill of victory. As he continues to get hit by the monsters, his stress level will increase. The more HP his character loses, the more stressed he will become. However, when he ultimately beats those monsters, that stress will then be converted to joy. Yes. And both the stress and the joy are numerically tallied in the game. And the actual point of the game 
is to throughout the course of five rounds in each chapter to get Hiroshi's joy, his enjoyment with the game to a certain level. So, and again, in very much layman's terms, the way you do that is in every round, you choose the monster or monsters you think will come the closest to defeating Hiroshi without actually defeating him. Right. And I'm curious too, because I'm curious as to your thoughts on that, because that, that sort of, it worked for me overall and there's definitely some interesting wrinkles to it. But to me, I sort of felt like that mechanic of, of like it just being strictly like high stress converts to high joy. And you're basically trying to kill Hiroshi without killing him, but also you're playing as Hiroshi. So like, it's actually kind of not good if you're, if you're like pulling off Hiroshi's commands, like correctly or, or, using his part of the strategy that all felt like a little um, underbaked to me. I think I, I, how did you feel about that? Well, here's how I felt about it. What, what Seth is talking about is you do get a couple maneuvers in the game that you can use for Hiroshi's side. You can cause Hiroshi's next attack to critical hit. You can affect yes. effectively alter the RNG in the game to cause his next attack to critical hit. You could also cause the RNG to make the next monster attack dodge. Now, those are not abilities that you're really supposed to use a lot. What those are effectively, those are a way to combat the RNG that's already in the game, essentially. Now, if you know what you're doing, if you know the monsters that you think would best fit the situation. However, if somebody winds up landing a critical hit, or if somebody winds up missing an attack, which especially going into the later chapters will happen. Mm -hmm. Yes. The critical hit RNG and the dodge slash miss RNG that you can trigger once per round, those are essentially ways to kind of mitigate, to help mitigate the other RNG. But I would honestly recommend not using them unless you have to. You don't really play as Hiroshi. You, you can just kind of affect the RNG a little bit. Right, yeah. It's not it's not like literally playing as Hiroshi, but it does sort of like, it, it sort of positions itself that way in your brain when you're thinking of this side versus that side a little bit. But yes, you're right. You, you are technically affecting if it's going to be a critical hit or a miss. Yeah. It, the way the game frames it, it does make you feel like you're using an ability from Hiroshi's side. But but that's kind of the main reason that they're in there is just in case, oh, wow, he landed a critical hit. I wasn't expecting that. I need to keep Hiroshi alive for one more turn. So, cool, let me dodge this next attack. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I need to land a stronger hit. He's taking a little bit more damage than I thought he would. Let me knock out this big monster. Let me go ahead and critical hit him just so we can get out of this fight. Yeah, I mean, I guess I ultimately wished that there was a little more nuance in the... Because it is very simple, the, the setup of it. And it's just, you know, you, you pick these monsters, you, you come to sort of know what the monsters do and the way they act and the way they're going to behave in combat, down to the point where, like, there will be, and there were, many situations for me where I had meticulously placed monsters in specific positions knowing which ones Hiroshi was going to attack in in the in that battle order yeah and that was became a very important part of it but I, I was sort of just like man like I wish there's a little more nuance and I wish there were like multiple factors 
that factored into his joy. I wish that, you know, stress wasn't the only, I mean, and there are little things like he'll get a little, little bit of a bump when he like levels up and he'll get a little bit of a bump when, when he does like complete it uh, or uh, depending on how close he gets, like there are different modifiers like, Oh, Hiroshi like barely made it out of that one, you know? Yeah. But I just, I, I almost wish that there was like a little bit of a balancing act between more factors, not just stress majorly. I'll admit, I would really like to see the mechanic. I think it's really, really interesting. And I would certainly love to see it expanded on in a sequel or in another title. Mm -hmm. But you were talking about leveling up. Just like in most RPGs, leveling up is something that happens to the character. And they get more HP, they can take more damage, and they get stronger, and they can do more damage. However, just because of the nature of the game... It means something completely different in this game, because what it means in this game is that a strategy that would have worked in the last chapter is no longer going to work in this chapter because Hiroshi, because the Mighty Warrior is stronger and has more HP. So you have to continually evolve what you're doing. You have to continually evolve your strategy. And like you were talking about what the order that he's going to attack, you can attack Hiroshi with up to six different monsters. And the order that you choose those monsters will be the order he attacks them in. So once you learn kind of how they attack and what their capabilities are, you can position them in specific ways to get the most out of each fight. Like instead of having your heavy hitter up front where he's going to be knocked out first before he can really do anything, you can put him toward the back or put him in the middle to make sure that he can get in one big hit. Yeah, they and, and not not to spoil too much about the enemy types, but like they they do mix up stuff. Like there are enemies that have very high defense. Um, there are enemies that uh, will only attack every like third turn, like stuff like that. You kind of have to think about that when you're organizing your enemy composition. <laughs> and there is even an enemy that you basically just have to get incredible RNG to even have a prayer of defeating even in the final chapter of the game. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it got to the, those enemies are so hard that it got to the point where like, if I were to to defeat them, it was so, it was such a close battle every time that I would almost get my entire, like the entire amount of joy that I needed just out of that one battle. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of the point of that. (laughs) Right. Now each chapter in the game has five different rounds and you have to get to a certain level of joy within those five rounds. So they, they don't last too long. The individual battles themselves will probably only last a minute or so. Right. So, I mean, if you want to start out and just, that, that's kind of what those, those super powerful enemies there are for when you get later on into the game. If you just want to start out and just throw caution to the wind, because all you would do is you would just go back to the start of the chapter. Right. And, After you pass the second round in a chapter, that's kind of a checkpoint. So even after you pass that, if you feel like you've got enough joy up to that point, then you don't even have to restart the chapter if you lose after that. You can just go back. And this is something you will lose. Your character will get knocked out. You will have to go back and replay battles several times throughout the course of this. Uh, it's, It's not more than a momentary annoyance and it did happen to me a few times especially in the beginning while i was trying to figure out what these monsters were even capable of how many i could attack with if the order meant anything 
So right, yeah. Admittedly, it does. There's a little bit of a learning curve. You definitely. I mean, to be honest, I, you know, I've never really played something like this before. So I, it did definitely take me a, a few minutes to acclimate myself to the mechanics and to sort of wrap my head around what the monsters were going to do. The again, the fact that I could you know, dictate the order and just, it, it takes a minute to really kind of come to grips with the amount of control that you've got and the way that that affects the experience for Hiroshi. I, I agree with you that you'd like to see more nuance, but I, I, I got to admit, I, for what this game was, I, I was really, it, it certainly left me wanting more, but I was really intrigued by the amount of wrinkles that they did put yeah. in just because because of how it's structured, things kind of inherently become wrinkles. Like uh, we're, we're, we go back to talking about the, the character's level, which I've already explained. That is just a normal part of an RPG. However, because of the nature of this game, it's it, it acts completely differently. It's not just in there to be in there. It inadvertently becomes its own wrinkle in the strategy, having to constantly... Um, <clears throat> What Jesus Christ, what's the word I'm looking for? Having to constantly readjust for the character's ever-increasing strength and HP. So just little things like yeah. that. And uh, if you don't get Hiroshi's HP down enough, if you get his HP down enough in a fight, he will recover all of his HP with an item at the end of the fight. However, if you don't get it down far enough, then he'll take that current level of HP into the next fight in the same chapter. So that can also right. greatly affect your strategy and the monsters you choose. So it's you will not see the same strategy work more than a couple times, despite uh, there, there's not a thousand monsters to choose from. There's a decent variety, but you will rarely be able to get away with the same strategy with the same monster set up twice in this game, which I thought was... Con considering how well they were able to balance that was really impressive to me. Yeah, I agree. It, it worked for me overall, even though, like I said, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them improve upon it or expand upon it, make it a little bit deeper in a sequel. Uh, overall, I, I thought the mechanic really worked. And one of the things that I really like about it, one thing we haven't talked about, and I don't want to spend too much time about it, because again, the experience, like we've alluded to, is very short and streamlined. It is uh, maybe three hours i don't know how long it took you it took me about two yeah two three hours i would say is accurate and and you know it is worth noting this game actually was a mobile game originally that it was then ported to the switch and it, it does sort of feel like that uh which is fine but the way that they integrate the story into the gameplay a little bit is also really interesting yeah there are actually enemies and situations that crop up in the way that Takeshi ha is designing this game that are based on the events of the story. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, ultimately the story becomes about Takeshi's journey to make this game the best he can specifically for his brother and what he does and how he grows as a person to, to do what he needs to do. And there are a couple other supporting characters in the game one of them is even actually another uh, budding game programmer, which inc yeah. incidentally, <laughs> you can even play that character's programmed game in Takeshi and Hiroshi. 
Yes, you can. And I mean, you know, it was a game. It was a <laughs> it was a game. I uh I spent I played it once, I spent about a minute and a half on it, and I was like, I'm done with that forever. Yeah, I so yeah, just to briefly describe what it is. It, and you know, you, you can definitely tell that it's not meant to be like the meat of the game. It's like this weird you're running away from zombies, but your character is on like a constantly spinning axis, and the only way to control their movement is by like stopping and turning on that axis to create movement. Well, y- your character obviously <laughs> has two feet. The butt, <laughs> yeah. The the character is constantly spinning 360 degrees around, yeah. and by pressing the button, you choose which foot. They they switch feet, they switch axis, or they switch. Feet. It's it's as complicated as it sounds, folks, and it's it's not very fun. <laughs> no, <laughs> I will say thematically, it doesn't fit the rest of the game at all. But it certainly does feel like somebody's first game that they created in a few days right. back in like two thousand and eight or something. Totally, and I think I think even the fact that it, it it is sort of like so difficult and annoying to penetrate and play might also be thematically appropriate because one thing and again I I don't want to say too much but one thing that this game touches on narratively is Takeshi's like sole focus on making this game sole focus on Hiroshi and not really putting his other relationships or potential relationships to the wayside and kind of being a jerk yeah <laughs> so there's a little bit of that <laughs> but ultimately uh, it is a really, really interesting, really unique, really incredibly animated little experience. And I will say there's not yeah. much in terms of a soundtrack. However, they the way they handle sound in the game is instead of having spoken dialogue, it's treated like through beeps and boops, almost as if yeah, uh, almost as if the talking, uh, sound effects are supposed to be rhythmic, are supposed to be creating the score. It's an interesting way of looking at it, yeah. It is kind of interesting to listen to it, but in terms of the the score, in terms of the music, that's by far the most standout. I honestly can't even remember uh, I honestly can't remember the track that even plays during the Mighty Warrior segments. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some cute little, you know, interstitial pieces of music, but it's not yeah, it's not like laden with some you know, boisterous soundtrack or anything like that. It it doesn't really need it either. The game is, you know, if you haven't, if we haven't driven this home, the game is a very simple streamlined experience, but, but one that I came away with feeling very positively about. And because the game is so uh, inexpensive and short, it just felt like a nice little treat, you know, just a nice little thing to play. And I'll, you know, I probably will never play it again, but that's okay. I mean, we've done, we, this is, I think, our like fourth game in a row in the Indie Showcase that's under $10. So, right. But unlike something like Downwell or under, uh, unlike something like White Ocean Big Jacket, this one is something I definitely think is like, no, we, I would definitely love to see more of this. This animation is amazing. I would definitely love to yeah. see more of that. This gameplay mechanic and gameplay style is incredibly unique. I would absolutely love to see that fleshed out even more. So... Uh, I, if they came out with, you know, a more full sized, more full price version sequel to this game, I'd be all about it. Yeah, I would be happy to 
pay $15, $20 for a more fleshed out, longer, like deeper experience in this style. This this feels like a really good pitch game, right? Like this feels like a really good way of like selling this concept and selling these mechanics. But I, I want to see, you know, I would love to see a sequel where where there's just more to it. I want to see more of this. It, it was good. I, I really liked it. And that's why, you know, ultimately that's why we, we come on here and recommend it to folks, you know? And oddly enough, the way the game works, the way Mighty Warrior works within the game, in and of itself, is a really interesting concept that I think could hold water in the real world. You have one person who is essentially controlling and modifying the experience for a player as they're playing the game. Like The closest thing I can really think of is... The resistance, the Resident Evil Three resistance mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's honestly the closest comparison that I can make to something like this. If you were going to create something within the realm of fantasy RPGs or something, where it was some kind of local or even online multiplayer, where you had one character trying to go through a dungeon, and then you had another character, you know, basically playing Takeshi, who was controlling the monsters, controlling possibly even traps or something like that. Uh, I I think that could be really, really interesting kind of asymmetric multiplayer. And obviously we already have a somewhat template for it with this game and with the Resident Evil. So if you took those two and kind of combined them, I would be very interested in playing a game like that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because the the Fable game that got scrapped, Fable Legends, was going to be exactly what you just described. It was going to be fantasy rpg four-player co-op and then there's a fifth player who is basically deciding where the enemies and the challenges in the dungeons you guys are exploring that was literally what it was going to be they wound up scrapping it they had there's a lot of development trouble but it's, it's still a really interesting idea and that you know it's cool to see a unique idea like that executed in a game like this and yeah you're right i would love to see somebody else take that on in a larger scale i mean heck if they end up doing a sequel to this, the, the the idea is cool enough and broad enough. I don't even think you need to use like the same characters or anything like that. You could do it completely new characters, completely new stories, same mechanic. It'd be great if there was some sort of online component. It'd be really cool if you there there was something like that where you could integrate that mechanic online against another player who is playing through your little adventure. That'd be kind of interesting. Oh yeah. Lots of stuff I would love to see from a sequel but yeah even even as it stands i think that this one is totally worth your time yeah and what do you guys think have you played takeshi and hiroshi do you plan on playing takeshi and hiroshi uh if you do let us know what you think reach out to us on facebook reach out to us on twitter again please subscribe on your current podcasting service to all in and you just kind of my final thoughts i it almost feels like this game takeshi and hiroshi was we talk about kind of meta concepts how i would love to see the structure of mighty warrior in the real world it almost feels like the game takeshi and hiroshi was almost in the same situation as mighty warrior was it almost feels Mm. like takeshi and hiroshi was a game like that an older brother was making for their younger brother over the course of however long and they just got to play one chapter at a time until it was done I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. It is chapter-based. It is sort of structured in that way. I could definitely see that. So I would be very interested in hearing the story behind Takeshi and Hiroshi. So if anybody knows anything about it, definitely link to us. 
All right, man. I can't take it anymore. Enough with the, like talking about all this other stuff. Enough with the Manticore little Eric business. Hey, 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 hey. Don't talk about my baby like that. Our baby like that. What was he doing when you found him anyway? I Actually, ironically enough, he was posted at the door. Like, there was a stone column out of nowhere, apparently, in front of all NHQ now. And he's just kind of posted up there like a little adorable guardian. Just, you know, threateningly watching the passerby. So I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, I just booted up this little all-in branded baby monitor. So uh, I've been watching him while we've been talking. So it's... You know, if anything does happen, I'm sure it'll be fine. But I mean, I mean, how much trouble can an infant really get into when it's unsupervised? Uh, that's fair, I guess. We'll have to keep an eye on that thing as we get into our main segment. But again, I can't wait anymore, man. Let's talk about this Super Mario 35th anniversary direct. All right. So I think the first thing, I mean, this was an amazing, you know, just just drop of Mario goodness. The Mario explosion as I've called it now a couple of times. That's 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 what I'm going to refer to it now in my head. All right, all right. But I mean, this thing was just so, like, this, this was so crazy, so much to unpack. We've certainly got plenty to talk about here this week. I think the, the elephant in the room, the thing that we should probably start our conversation with, is the confirmation of the existence of Super Mario 3D All-Stars, which we now know is real. It's been rumored, of course, for months now. We've talked about it on this show. Yeah, we've been talking about it, I since think, episode one or two at this point. Yeah, I mean, this has been one of those things, like, there's been so much smoke around this. We sort of assumed it was real, but of course, we never had any proper official confirmation, and now we do. Uh, so for those that uh, have, not been, have not been keeping score, <laughs> Super Mario 3D All-Stars is a collection of Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and Super Mario Galaxy for the Nintendo Switch, optimized in higher resolution, coming out in just less than two weeks at this point. Yeah. It's crazy. I I mean, like, I, I again, we've been talking about it for a while, but I still can't believe this is real. See, it was rumored for so long that ultimately the, the, the reveal of it was just like, oh, okay, awesome, great, this exists, cool, all those rumors were true, we can be excited about this. The jaw-dropping moment was, no, it's not coming out next year, no, it's not coming out in a few months, no, it's coming out in two weeks. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a huge shock for a lot of people, especially because this past week there's been sort of the rumblings or the rumors that it actually may have slipped into the holiday time, like they're going to announce it now for release in the holiday, but no, uh, never you worry. It is, it is coming out very, very soon. Uh, it's going to retail for fifty nine ninety nine for three of the best games ever made. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it looks fantastic. Obviously check the trailer out. What we'll do is we'll, we'll post uh, links to the Mario 35th anniversary direct tomorrow again. But uh, I mean, there's, there's so many different places that you can see these trailers and see these products. Yes, I'm incredibly excited. I am. And it's obviously a day one purchase for me. I cannot wait to play through these games again. And obviously, as you know, Mario Galaxy is my personal favorite game of all time. Right. So seeing that kind of upscaled, uh, that's that's super exciting for me. And it looked that they're even 
doing like a dual Joy-Con, kind of like a Wii Remote Nunchuck kind of control scheme for it? Yes, actually, they have clarified a few things about the control options because some people had some questions, right? Because it was like, okay, how is the how is all that stuff going to work in handheld mode? Well, as it turns out, yes, of course, you can still play Super Mario Galaxy in handheld mode. I'm hoping that they have some options for the pointer because from what it sounds like, you can utilize the touch screen for the pointer, but I'm kind of hoping you can just use the Switch's gyro for the pointer as well in handheld mode. Because that would be a little more elegant, I think, than the touchscreen, at least. But yeah, super exciting. Uh, Mario Sunshine uh, does not officially support the GameCube controller. Uh, They did clarify that as well, which seems like a little bit of a missed opportunity. But still, it's just going to be great to have a way to play these on the Switch. It is. It absolutely is. And again, I'm, I'm really glad. I cannot wait. With the inclusion of this and another game we'll talk, uh, we'll talk about soon. With the exception of two games, every Mario platformer ever made is going to be playable on current Nintendo hardware. So, yep, pretty cool. The the two exceptions being Super Mario Brothers Wii or New Super Mario Brothers Wii and very famously now Mario Galaxy 2. Yeah, so that that's something we should actually stop and talk about for a second because there there are some like weird little things. Like I think a lot of people are like this is amazing news, but of course Nintendo has to be Nintendo about it. And, you know, there's there's some weird things with the actual like release window of the game and also of course the omission of Super Mario Galaxy 2, which a lot of people are taking issue with. It's weird, man. It is weird. Yeah, specifically about the release window. Apparently it's only going to be available it's somehow until next March. I don't know if they're just going to pull all copies of the game out of stores if that means they're no longer going to ship them but they specifically mentioned that it was going to be a limited release until next march which is really weird it's strange even like the digital copy is is going to be pulled from the eShop, and you're only at that point going to be able to re-download you won't be able to purchase it anymore this is a weird one i understand in a way why they're doing it, wanting to make it a celebration of the 35th anniversary, wanting it to be like kind of its own celebratory thing. Like, Hey, like, like if you were here to celebrate this, then, then you were here. And if you weren't there, then you weren't there. But uh, like, I get that. And they, they have done this in the past to be fair. They did it with the original release of all stars. They did it again on the Wii uh, when they, they re-released it, but it's still just a just a strange decision that like somebody who is going to pick up a switch next april can't buy this you know what i mean it seems like a pretty major game to to lock people away from i think nintendo is becoming more and more aware that the retro market and their used products are that that they just retain their value so uh, i think this might honestly be Nintendo trying to influence that a little bit, maybe trying to drive up resale price, maybe trying to see some $200, $250 price tags for Mario 3D All-Stars in a couple of years. I, I, I don't know. It, it It is very weird because obviously these are not newer games. These aren't Wii U games that are being ported over. Many of these, you know, the newest game in this collection is 13 years old already, (laughs) which is insane to me. So 
I mean, you've got an entire new generation of people who this is going to be their first time being able to to play it. Yes, I know that you were able to download Nintendo 64 games, so a lot of people may have already had access to Mario 64, but this will be the first time for many, many people that they're being exposed to Super Mario Sunshine at Mm -hmm. all. Yeah, I actually, I was talking to my cousin yesterday about this, and he never played Sunshine and never played Galaxy. Yeah, so yeah, so why restrict it? Why why sort of, you know, why, why keep it away from folks? I don't know. Seems seems odd. It's an odd decision, but you know what? Uh, you and I will both be there day one, and uh, and we will both be be playing the absolute mess out of this game oh yeah absolutely i i I might want to buy a second copy just for the simple fact that i'm afraid that my first copy is going to burn up inside the switch from how much i am going to be playing it (laughs) i i'm personally like i'm going to get a digital copy to play and then i'm going to keep a physical copy just to have like on the shelf it's it it is an event and i I think that's more so because i mean the thing about nintendo games is first party nintendo games retain their value anyway so they're treating it almost like a mass market convention exclusive right yeah i think that's the vibe they're trying to go for here they did you know something similar with kirby uh with the kirby 25th anniversary collection as well so i mean this is not unprecedented so is what it is uh looking forward to it strange also to not include galaxy 2 and and you know it wouldn't shock me with with the way people are sort of like freaking out about galaxy two being omitted. It wouldn't shock me at all. If Nintendo winds up backpedaling on that at some point in the future and re-releasing galaxy two in some capacity. Yeah. Some people on Twitter are losing their minds at the fact galaxy two isn't included in this collection. I mean, it does already have three, like you said, three of the best games ever made in it. So I mean, that's 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 a lot of amazing Mario platforming right there. Could they have thrown in Galaxy 2? Sure. But I don't know. Just just based on, again, how much Twitter is losing its mind, I agree with you. I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if Nintendo did wind up doing something at some point. Uh, But who knows? Honestly, who knows? It's also worth noting just real quick before we move on that. Nintendo does not typically release compilations like this. They've done this to our knowledge and, and, you know, definitely reach out to us uh, at all in on Facebook and at all in podcast on Twitter. If, if you can think of something that we've missed, but all I can really think of is the original super Mario all-stars, the re-release of that for the Wii and the Kirby dream collection. I don't know that Nintendo's ever done anything else in terms of a compilation like this. I mean, Nintendo is usually very happy to individually remaster and release games. They did do a Metroid Prime trilogy. That's true. They did do the Metroid Prime trilogy. That is true. Yeah, so there's that. But yeah, just it's, it's not something that Nintendo does super duper often. So I don't know. I mean, maybe... They're treating it like a limited thing because it is a limited thing. Yeah, no real like Zelda collection disc, despite the fact that you could fit basically every Zelda prior to uh, Breath of the Wild, probably on a single Switch cartridge. That's probably um, true. Uh, yeah, 
All Stars, Kirby Dream Collection, Metroid Prime Trilogy. I really think that's it. Which, considering how long Nintendo has been doing this, you know, 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers. Obviously, they've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, to see that they've only done a collection once every decade or so, considering how many different franchises they have, is interesting. And <laughs> well, one last little thing for me before we move on, and this is this is very much on me however you know as the rumors were growing about mario 3d all-stars before it got released i just i couldn't help myself especially after playing super mario odyssey especially after playing the end game content i i really couldn't help myself when when those rumors started going about 3d mario uh mario 3d all-stars i was like man if if all three of those games if they used odyssey's graphics engine if they actually went back and took the time and did that, and all three of those games were in Odyssey's graphics engine, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there is something to be said about that. But for this for this thing in particular, I think they were definitely trying to kind of, you know, up-res it and make it essentially look the way you remember it. And, yeah. and basically make it look like a, a cleaned up version of the way you remember it and, and make it run nicely and stuff like that and preserve the game sort of at least close to their original form. I think that if they were to do something like that, that that would be sort of more in line with like a full remaster uh, aside from just being a a collection. So, but I do hope I would love to see them do that. Yeah. Make it a look how you remember, I think is the best way to put it because I have seen a few people. So it was like, well, they didn't do anything to the visuals at all. Oh, they, yeah. I encourage anybody who thinks that to go look at some side-by-side comparisons. Yeah. Cause they, they, they definitely really did. So we remember things looking better as kids than they really do. Like we remember super Nintendo games looking like PlayStation four games. So that's, (laughs) Those are just, that's just our kid brains filling in the gaps a lot of the time. So when stuff like this happens, we're like, oh, it hasn't changed at all. And then you go back and look at comparisons like, wow, it really looked that bad? Right. Well, speaking of Super Nintendo games and speaking of Mario All-Stars, that was another kind of interesting thing in this Direct. They shadow dropped the original Super Mario All-Stars for Super Nintendo on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System Nintendo Switch Online app. So if you're a Nintendo Switch Online subscriber, you can now jump on your SNES app and play the original Super Mario All-Stars in all of its glory. The very first game remaster ever. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. But it is really crazy how much a fresh coat of paint can breathe life into a game. Uh, Wonder Boy, The Dragon's Trap is a really, really good example of this. A a Master System game that felt like a brand new, just released title just by upgrading the, the art style. And just from upgrading the art style from the color palette of the NES to the Super Nintendo does wonders for those four games. It really does. It makes them pop. So much more, and they legitimately feel like they even control better, despite the fact that I they honestly really don't. They play exactly like their NES counterparts, but uh, they've already got Mario 1, 2, 3, and Lost Levels available on the NES side of the downloadable of the Switch Online service. But it is really, really, really cool to have Mario All Stars, the first. Mario All-Stars, Nintendo's first 
game collection, the first ever game remaster, now available to play as well. It's super, and I've already, and I know you have too, I've already jumped in and played myself a little Mario too, so. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the first one I went to, as a matter of fact, too. So I don't know why that, I just, I guess it's just because, you know, much like Sunshine, and maybe that's something that, that we should say, like, Sunshine's the one that I'm kind of the most looking forward to going back and playing because I feel like I'm the least familiar with it. And Mario 2 is the same way with the 2D Marios. I'm like, these are the the sort of odd ones out. And I'm like, I I really am kind of gravitating towards those now that I'm so familiar with the other ones, you know? Yeah, uh, Mario 2, and obviously, you know, a lot of people kind of know the base story around Mario 2, but Mario 2, Mario Sunshine... Nintendo does kind of have this this thing where they're like, yeah, Super Mario Brothers is a oh Super Mario Brothers two is like oh man, you remember Super Mario Brothers three? Oh, it's really cool. Yeah. Oh, you guys remember Mario sixty four? It's so cool. And you know we've also got Mario Sunshine. It's just like, hey, you guys remember Mario Galaxy? Oh man, what a game. Yeah, it's so, just like, you, and, and it's so funny how how there is that like corollary between the two D and three D Mario uh, sets there where it's like, hey. Like Super Mario Brothers redefined and, and really set in stone and laid the groundwork for 2D platforming. And then Mario 2 is like super different and weird, still a great game, but like super different and weird. And then like Mario 3 comes around and it completely, again, redefines and, and perfects essentially the groundwork of 2D platforming. And then they did the same thing for the 3D Mario games. It was really strange. But yeah, as a result, I'm really looking forward to like revisiting these middle children. <laughs> yeah, they both very much have middle children syndrome, but that, that has caused them to go underappreciated. And when you look back on stuff, when you start getting nostalgic... It is kind of the dark horses, the the underappreciated gems that do stick out for a lot of people. You remember the immaculate experiences you had, obviously, but sometimes when you look back and you see certain games, you're like, oh man, oh, I remember that. That was interesting. You know what? Let me give that one another go. Yeah. Yeah. And Mario 2 is still super fun, by the way. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Super Mario yeah. All-Stars now available, shadow dropped during this direct. Another kind of interesting thing as we sort of look further back at Mario's history, coming on November 13th, they're actually releasing a new Game & Watch handheld that is themed to the 35th anniversary that is going to be loaded with the original Super Mario Brothers, the Lost Levels, and a like Mario-themed version of the classic Game & Watch uh, game called Ball. That's cool. And we knew about a lot of the products other companies had been making for Mario's 35th anniversary, but there were still some really interesting surprises for this anniversary direct. And bringing back the Game and Watch system of of games, that yeah, I was not expecting to see a Game and Watch product released <laughs> by Nintendo in the near future. But yeah, I I mean yeah, I have to have it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to retail for $49.99 from what I was seeing. I don't believe you can purchase it anywhere just yet. Uh, but again, just like a classic Game & Watch, the thing can also be used as a really cool Mario-themed clock. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very cool little thing. Yeah, if you have the, the Nintendo Clock app on your DS or 3DS, that's very much what you can expect. Uh, from the Game & Watch set, but 
it was it was really interesting. They they basically opened the show with that, and yeah. uh, it's man, it was it was weird because obviously they wanted to show off. It's the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers, so. I mean, despite the fact that we already have a hundred thousand ways to play Super Mario Brothers, even on current hardware, I guess they figured for thirty-fifth anniversary, Nintendo just said, "You know what? Is there any platform? Is there any piece of hardware that we've ever made that people cannot play the original Super Mario Brothers on?" And I promise you, somebody in that pitch meeting said, "Well, it's not a Game and Watch game," <laughs> and everybody looked at him and said, "That's genius." <laughs> Yeah, man, you know, I was I was thinking about this as, as you were saying that. I think the last time Nintendo has released anything, even Game & Watch branded, I mean, aside from Mr. Game & Watch and Smash, of course, but, like, yeah. I remember they did some Game & Watch collections for, like, the original DS as Club Nintendo rewards. And, yes. And I think there's maybe even a couple of physical Game & Watches that they reproduced around that same time. But other than that, I mean, that's going back you know, 15 years probably. And yeah, I, other than that, I really don't, I can't remember another more recent time that they have produced any sort of game and watch stuff. It's crazy that the game and watch brand is still kind of alive. I mean, obviously this year is going to be all about Mario, but I, I think I really do think that if they released an affordable re-release retro line of game and watch systems, I mean, even if it was just one per, if they were like, you know, $10 a piece, one game per, per system, I think they'd sell. Oh, I'd, yeah, I'd be all over that. I know a lot of people would just be, no, yeah, I, I want them all collected. Don't make me buy 50 billion different ones. So if they did collect all the different Game & Watch games into a single, you know, specifically made Game & Watch system for, again, you know, $40, $50 or something, I could also see that. I mean... Regardless, I think, depending on how well this one sells, if this one sells a lot, which, I mean, as big a deal as they're making for the anniversary, for the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers, and as big a deal as they're making about this whole limited release window, uh, I think that's certainly going to drive up interest. So if it keeps, or if it sells as well as Nintendo's maybe hoping, maybe we can see some some just straight-up Game & Watch re-releases in the near future. And if you do have uh, the ability, there's several Game & Watch, several Nintendo-themed Game & Watch collections on the Game Boy Advance and DS, which are really, really cool and worth checking out. Definitely fun little games, but let's uh, let's move on to maybe, arguably, definitely one of the biggest surprises of this surprise-laden Direct. And that is the announcement of a new Mario Kart game. But it's not Mario Kart 9. It's not like a another mobile game spin-off. It's not Mario Kart Tour 2. <laughs> no. This is Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. This looks amazing. This looks crazy, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, we knew about Mario 3D All-Stars for the most part. I nobody had any like nobody predicted this at all. And 
Oh my lord, this looks so, so cool. Yes, it's not Mario Kart 9. It is technically going to be a spinoff. This is something we were talking about when we talked about them releasing a new Mario Kart game, that there's really no incentive for them to because Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is still selling all the copies. But they're still doing it. They're still releasing a new Mario Kart product. And I cannot wait to get this in my hands. If you have not seen it, Mario Kart Live Home Circuit is just that. It is live and in your home. It is a game on the Switch. Yes, however, you are controlling an actual IRL radio-controlled go-kart. Yeah, this is uh this so it's it's really kind of interesting and weird the way it works. You are going to be using your switch to control, just like you said, a real live cart, which is, you know, in the form of a, a figure that's got Mario, or I think you can even get a Luigi edition. Yeah, they showed Mario, they showed Luigi. I hope they wind up having more. Like honestly, if they have one for all the different characters, I may buy ten different ones of these. It's if it's successful, I can totally see them doing it. But but yes, the, it will be essentially. It's got a camera, uh, an augmented reality camera mounted to the back of the cart, and as it drives around your home on your floor, hope you got hardwood floors. Uh, <laughs> As it drives yeah. around on the screen, you will see augmented reality tracks and like opponents and items. And you're going to be playing it like a standard real Mario Kart game, but controlling it with a remote control IRL cart. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, you're you're looking through the camera on the go kart. It's almost like the uh, it, not necessarily first person, but kind of over the shoulder view. and. Yeah, just like you mentioned with augmented reality, through the camera, you'll see everything that's in your home. However, the game will add in items. They will add in opponents for you to race against. And they will add in even course obstacles and dashes, which will affect your cart in real life. If you go through a dash, an augmented reality dash in the game, your cart will actually dash in real life. Right. Uh, and man, it just looks, again, we've already said it several times, but man, this looks so cool. You can set up the tracks however you want. And the, the, the freedom they showed off is going to cause a lot of people to get really creative. I cannot wait to see the homebrew tracks that people create when this game has been out or after this game comes out. What it looks like from what we've sort of taken from the trailer, uh, it looks like the thing is going to be bundled with, I guess, four checkpoints. It looks uh, like four, yeah. Yeah, that you can that you can then lay around your house. But in order to sort of design the track itself, it looks like the way we're going to do it is Lakitu is going to like splatter some paint on your virtual wheels, and you're going to drive the cart around. And the path that you drive is going to be the layout of the course. So you're going to be able to effectively create your own course with your own checkpoints around your house. I mean, I'm just, I'm sitting here just waiting for somebody to make Ribbon Road IRL. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, they haven't given us any real distance restrictions yet. So, and I'm sure there will be some of that. Yeah, but uh, a lot of the the potential layouts, because I mean, they showed people creating 
uh, or they showed these carts taking some some intersecting and some goofy looking paths through these courses. So you're going to have again a lot of freedom, and not just like, and you don't have to just use the gates and the augmented reality. They even showed in the trailer like people setting up barriers and obstacles, you know, in real life. So you can have the augmented reality obstacles, and if you want to start getting really creative, you can throw your own obstacles on the track. You can create your own themed courses. What you could do is, if you've got a bunch of stuffed animals, maybe you could have your carts weaving in and out of giant stuffed animals, trying not to run right into the bear, you know, or trying not to, to run over and get knocked over by the giant stuffed giraffe that you have who's laying across your kitchen floor. Right. Yeah, this is this is going to be so cool, man. This is this is the kind of stuff like when you take stuff like this, when you take like stuff like Lego Mario and and Labo and Ring Fit. I mean, like this is the kind of experimental stuff that I love to see that Nintendo is still doing. They're not just making amazing first-party titles. They're not just making amazing hardware. They're doing they're still willing to take risks like this. And man, it looks it, I'm just for for me, I'm like, take my money. I I this makes me legitimately like if I didn't care about hardwood floors before, I do now. <laughs> Ripping up my entire floor plan. I'm putting in hardware floors. I'm gonna have an entire go-kart park. Yeah. I'm telling you, dude, like like my wife and I are looking at a house and I'm it's gotta have hardwood floors now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta play Mario Kart Live. Uh, but yes, if you haven't seen it and you are wondering, they did show off multiplayer. They did show off two people yes. with two separate carts racing the same track against each other. Now, we don't know as of right now. I haven't personally seen anything that said it's going to be more than two players. We will right. have to see on that. Uh, I don't know if there's something in regards to the the signal going to the go kart. If more than two is going to cause too many crossed wires, right. but but I mean for for what this is like the Labo was you know kind of uh, okay. Nintendo's trying something new. Okay, whatever. But this looks legit amazing. Yeah, I mean they're you know again, but they're willing to take that risk. You know, don't know if it's going to succeed or fail. Maybe it'll be kind of soft like Labo. Maybe it'll be the best-selling thing since Kingdom Hearts, like Ring Fit was. <laughs> but, you know, they're willing to take that risk. And, and like, I think that's super cool. And, yeah, I, it is worth knowing. We do know a couple of little uh, nuts and bolts about this that have come out since the Direct. They did say to expect about an hour and a half of a single charge on these guys. So it's not like you're going to be sitting there for like multi-hour sessions or anything. They did say that the hour and a half estimate was kind of a generous one based on playing on the 150 CC setting. So it's possible that if you uh, play on the lower settings that, that you might actually get a little more juice out of it. Um, so it's going to be about an hour and a half charge and about a, th or uh, sorry, about an hour and a half long battery life and about a three hour long charge is what they've said. So, I understand it's it's entirely new, you know, frontier of style of game. So, I mean, it's it's not like something we could expect, you know, a 10-hour charge on these guys. Just go right. outside and just... So, say la vie on that, but still, I, I absolutely cannot wait. I have one potential reservation about it, and that is the fact that peripheral-based games, which this technically is... They they do kind of live and die based on how responsive 
and how well made the peripherals are. We have talked a lot about how very well made Nintendo's products are most of the time. Of course, a very obvious caveat to that being the Joy-Cons. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing at all that gives me pause at all about any of this is because I know it's Nintendo. I know these are going to be well made. I know these are going to control exactly the way Nintendo intends them to control. However, if if somehow, if somehow there winds up being any type of issue like there was with the Joy-Cons with, you know, small pieces coming off or with there being, you know, drift, unintended drift, I guess, since it's a go-kart, <laughs> uh, any kind of issues like that, because this is an entirely new peripheral style, that would kill it dead in the water. So that they've, I, I'm sure they know this, but these things have to be sturdy. They have to control exactly the way they need to, and they need to not have any technical issues for this to really succeed the way Nintendo is hoping for. But this releasing in October is going to make this a oh man, this it would not surprise me. It really would not surprise me if this were the must-have quote-unquote toy of the holiday season. Oh, totally. Yeah, I actually, so um, while you were saying that, I was actually just looking this up just so, just for some uh, concrete details here uh, from the PR release. Um, yeah, it is coming October 16th. You can choose either a Mario or Luigi RC car. It will come with four cardboard gates and two cardboard arrow signboards. Um, as well as a USB charging cable for it. Um, it will retail for $99.99, and up to three players can play together on the same course. However, each player is going to need their own Switch, their own game, and their own cart. So That makes sense. Makes perfect sense, um, but, but yes, it looks like the, there is going to be a three-player limit, at least for now. Um, but that's everything you get in the box. You get the cart itself, either Mario or Luigi, uh, you get all the cardboard pieces. You get the charging cable uh, for for ninety nine ninety nine. And and just like you said, I I think this is probably going to fly off the shelves this holiday. I, I mean, yeah, you and I still have very very vivid memories of the Tickle Me Elmo fiasco of the nineties. <laughs> oh yes. I mean, I don't think this is going to quite get to that level, but it, it always seems like every year there is that one item that everybody wants to have that one toy and obviously in the past few years nintendo or video games in general have been kind of taking up that slot but i i could so very easily see this becoming kind of that item for this year so uh, i i don't know we'll see i'm like i said i'm gonna get one just the this just looks so cool just like mario maker 2 and the creativity that mario maker inspires i cannot wait to see what people do with their own courses and it's it's actually got me already thinking about what I would like to do. I don't personally have in the place I live. I don't really have a lot of free space for me to do something like that. But hey, you can make your own baby park. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> Just going around the couch. <laughs> have little Eric running around the track as an obstacle. That'd be adorable. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that'd be one <laughs> heck of an obstacle. So another thing that was a huge surprise uh, another kind of similar to what they did with Tetris 99, an exclusive game coming for Nintendo Switch Online members on October 1st is Super Mario Brothers 35. 
Now, this game is super interesting, worth noting, just like with the Mario 3D All-Stars collection. This is also only going to be available for a little a limited time, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But the conceit of this game, much like Tetris 99, this is kind of like a Nintendo take on the Battle Royale genre, where you and 34 other players are going to be battling it out, playing Super Mario Brothers in a race to the finish. And you can, as you progress through the levels, send enemies and obstacles at the other players in an attempt to sort of knock them out before they can finish the game. This is a neat idea. Yeah, it's not just something to where you're racing people in Mario Brothers. No. You can affect other people's games to the point where if you've ever played NES Remix, uh, it, it kind of feels a little bit like that. I also got a lot of really strong vibes of Pac-Man Championship Edition based on just how nuts everything can get sure. when you start to really get deep into a run. So uh, uh, just like you said, you're able to send enemies over to other players and it can get to the point where i mean you're sending a dozen enemies at a time and there's just a a literal rain of goombas or spinies or koopas happening on your opponent's screen or even on your screen if you happen to be unlucky enough <laughs> and there is apparently i'm not exactly sure how it works based on the trailer but there is an item roulette wheel or something yeah, well, it's interesting. It, it looks like basically you're choosing who to send it to. You can, you can, you've got like a wheel there that you can control with the right stick, and it's like, hey, like I want to send these obstacles to the person who has the most coins, or the person who is uh, has the lowest time currently, uh, etc. So you can you can sort of choose, and then yeah, just like you said, it looks like there's some you can spend your coins on some sort of like yeah item box in the top left corner. That will that will provide some additional savagery to dish out to your opponents, and that would be really really satisfying to have your opponent drop just ten spinies on your face, and then you just use this item wheel to buy a an uh, an invincibility star and just mow through everything that everybody's sending at you for yes. a few seconds. I would. I would just imagine how amazingly satisfying that would be. I mean, this but, is such a cool idea, and this seems like it's going to be so much fun. But again, the time limit. Yes, only playable. It's going to be available as a part of the Nintendo Switch Online service, but it's only going to be available until March 31st. On April Fool's Day, ironically enough, 2021, they are going to apparently just remove the game forever. We will all so, be the fools then. <laughs> indeed indeed <laughs> but if you have a nintendo switch and you have switch online definitely check it out it's going to be a free download it is a free game so definitely check it out because uh, between tetris 99 between super mario brothers 35 uh, the, the whole battle royale thing does feel like it's getting played out uh, obviously, PUBG has already completely fallen off the map, but Fortnite is still hanging around. You've got Warzone, you've got Apex Legends, but Nintendo is doing some really, really interesting things with the entire concept of Battle Royale, and this, this just looks super, super interesting. Uh, it, obviously, the runs start out pretty slow, but the deeper and the better you get, it, it looks like it will just absolutely get nuts. By the time you're done, just things flying across the screen, you know, it's almost like a, you know, a bullet hell game. 
Oh yeah, I mean, could you imagine like it, like just being like this white knuckle? It's like you and you've whittled it down to like you and one other guy. You're both like towards the end of the game. You've played so much and you've dodged so many ob- uh, obstacles. And I, I mean, I can definitely see this getting real intense real fast. I'm absolutely going to play it. I mean, Tetris 99 was something that I didn't get super into, but I could really see myself playing quite a bit of this. So you know, I I would very much like to see because obviously the doing doing it for a game like this because when you talk about speedrunners right super mario brothers is essentially like the 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 holy grail of speedruns there are so many people who know this game inside and out who mm-hmm. play this game almost professionally so you know it, it wasn't like it's not like some first person shooter or something where you know it's it's even though it's the same map, everybody moves differently and everybody has a different experience every time. No, that you're still running the same map. Yes, obviously people are going to throw new obstacles and new enemies at you, but people already are intimately familiar with this game. So, I I would very I'd be very interested to see how how much the wrinkles in the game affect actual professional speedrunners. Right. I wonder if they're just going to mow people down. Just like it's not even close. I mean, the, the Twitch I, streams are going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think so. I would love to see just a bunch, like 35 different Mario Brothers speedrunners just go at it. I think that would be amazing to oh, watch for a charity dude, event or something. Yeah, I'm about to say, that's 100% going to be at the next uh, Games Done Quick event, for sure. So, yeah, that, that's going to be cool. Yeah, super excited about it. What do you guys think? Are you guys excited about Super Mario Brothers 35? Let us know. And now we're moving on to, uh, we we predicted this. Yay, Seth. Yay. We predicted this. When we were talking about Wii U, possible Wii U ports just a few weeks ago, we said that of all the Wii U games that had yet to be announced for a Wii U port, if they were only going to do one more, it was going to be Super Mario 3D World. And sure enough, just a few weeks later, we were proven right. Oh, yes. Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury will be coming to the Nintendo Switch early next year, specifically February 12th, two days before Valentine's Day 2021. So that's actually true. If you have a special somebody, might be a good Valentine's Day gift next year. And hey, it might look from what we're hearing. I don't think that this has been like explicitly confirmed by Nintendo yet because, and I'll talk about this in a second, but there are a lot of like little features that I think make this, this kind of this re-release for the switch even more exciting than it seemed in the trailer. But one of them, it seems like it might actually have online co-op. So if you're in like, if you're in like a long distance relationship, this could be a great game to play with your significant other on Valentine's day. Uh, yeah. And that's, that is a huge, huge thing. It's not just going to be a straight port. It's not a deluxe version like they do typically do these days with the wii u ports with mario kart 8 deluxe and pikmin 3 deluxe and and new super mario brothers u deluxe and all the other deluxe games this is not that for all intents and purposes it seems like it is though i mean yeah i would argue that this is probably even more ambitious than than what they normally do for a deluxe version because like you said we do have the online multiplayer and that that alone is a big big deal oh that's a game changer dude like right there for mario platformers yes and 
frankly, they should all have them at this point moving forward. And it's glad to see that that's finally happening with this. This game is is up to four players at one time. So if, if it can run four separate online connections for a single level, right. that would be interesting. I mean, even if, it, I, honestly, and you and I both said this, even if it were just a straight port of Mario 3D World, like I, it, I would get it very quickly because it's such an amazing game in its own right without any tweaks, without any augments, without any work done to it whatsoever. It was already a fantastic game, which unfortunately died on a system that not too many people bought. Right. No, yeah, it is. It's it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful game. Uh, one of the very best Wii U titles. So happy to see this making the jump to Switch again. It was a bit of a no-brainer. We, we sort of uh, had an inkling that this was happening. Uh, of course, you know, the local co-op multiplayer returns, which is phenomenal. Uh, but it sounds like we're getting online as well, which could be a game changer. However, one thing that some people have also noticed, you know, even beyond like things like a resolution and texture bump, uh, the game definitely looks a little bit sharper. People have noticed that they've actually increased the speed in which the game runs, not just frame rate, the actual movement speed, making the game literally faster, which is kind of interesting and I think is going to go a long way to making this game feel a lot more snappy. Not that it didn't feel good before, but I think just that little bump in movement speed, I think people are surmising about a 20 to 25% increase in movement speed. Uh, could go a long way to really making this game feel snappy. I wonder if there's a chance to where it could be something where you could actually choose the game speed. If you could mm. choose cl- classic speed or choose turbo. Could be interesting. Yeah, that, that could be an interesting thing. It, it, there's also, there's a few like different things here. There's a chance that, I, I don't think this is what it is, but but maybe they possibly just sped it up for the trailer or something like that. I don't I don't think that's the case. I don't think they would want to misrepresent the game that way there's also a chance that the speed increase uh could just be a side effect of the switch being much more powerful hardware there's a chance that they could be doing some stuff with the speed to account for online play i don't know um either way i think that's a net positive but i think the really interesting and super ambitious thing here with this switch version of this game is the bowser's fury content And yes, we don't know much about it. Admittedly, we just got a very brief trailer, but based on what we've seen, it looks like it might be like semi open world. Yeah, that's what it kind of looks like. I'm even I'm currently looking at some of the screenshots from that Bowser's Fury content, and it shows what seems to be Cap Mario standing in front of a little spiked up cat shrine or something and there are platforms and you know stone walls all around them that all look completely traversable there's a lighthouse in the distance and everything in the environment very much looks like it can be explored yeah and even when you're looking in the trailer as the camera is panning through a lot of this environment there are there are moving platforms so yes. it's not just it's not just an environment. It is there. It is meant to be traversed. And right. but it but it is it is not nearly as linear as the vast majority of the Mario 3D World levels are. Like you said it does almost seem like it might be open world. And when it came to Mario 3D Land and Mario 3D World, that I think was a lot of people's biggest misgivings was 3D Mario games 
we had Mario 64, we had Mario Sunshine, we had Galaxy 1 and 2, we had these big open world 3D Mario games. So as as amazing as the game was, there were detractors who said, well, you know, it's 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 cool, but it's not it's not an open world Mario game, saying it's not as good as those other games. Right. So this might kind of be Nintendo's answer to that. I don't know. We'll see. But just just going off of what little we have, it it looks like they may be trying to do that with this game. Yeah. And regardless, I can't wait. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right on the money there. I, that's actually exactly the point I was going to make is that people were kind of let down by the fact that this was not a quote-unquote true 3d mario game in the style of something like like what we're getting in the all-stars collection like in the style of a 64 um sunshine galaxy or odyssey uh however yeah this looks to be very open i do have a bit of a theory because i've watched the trailer now a handful of times and we do see actually multiple lighthouses in this open world and i've got a theory that maybe the objective is to is the, the ultimate objective is to light all of those lighthouses and unlock the sort of like weird sphinx that we see Mario standing in front of. Because it, essentially it looks like a sphinx with a cat bell over its head. So I almost wonder if that's got something. And the, and the lighthouses could, all, could also act as like a, a point of order or a way to sort of orient yourself in this big open area. That's pure theory on my point. But I, regardless of what it is, I'm super excited to see whatever this ends up being. Also worth noting, there are two new Amiibo that are launching alongside this game, a Cat Mario and a Cat Peach Amiibo. So you already know, those are already bought. I mean, like, just here, take my money. Uh, Yeah, very interested to see what effects those are going to have on the game, because of course they will have at least some effect on the game. And really excited to check that out. Uh, Pre-orders are open now on the Nintendo eShop. Obviously, like any other game, it's going to be $59.99 for, you know, Nintendo's first-party titles. Uh, But again, let us know what you guys are most excited about from this 35th anniversary Direct. To end things out, we do also have a couple other products and events that we do have coming up that we want to spotlight that they have mentioned. We have the Mario Kart Tour event where the Super Nintendo versions of Mario and Donkey Kong are going to be showing up. We have a Splatfest coming up, which, by the way, some of the the merch that Nintendo has announced looks really, really good. The Splatfest is happening in Splatoon 2 soon, and... They have specific Splatfest shirts for the 35th anniversary of Mario, which look really, really cool. Definitely check out the Nintendo Store. Check out a lot of that merch. There's also going to be uh, a Super Mario Brother themed Smash Brothers tournament happening soon. And something that we are both really excited about, because we've talked specifically about this before in the past, is Nintendo-themed items coming into Animal Crossing. Yes, finally, Mario Furniture getting a set in New Horizons. Can't wait. Those are typically pretty robust collections when they do add new sets in, so uh, hopefully it's not just going to be like a couch and a table. Hopefully it'll be something you can decorate your entire house with. But again, really excited that Nintendo items are coming back into Animal Crossing. You and I talked about that a while. That's, that's one of our biggest things that we really, really want to see 
show up. So, yeah, obviously we've got Puma with their new Mario sneakers that they showed off. We have the Mario Jenga and the Mario Monopoly, which we've talked about in previous episodes that they showed off. We have, just like I said, the merch from the Nintendo store. Uh, a lot of it looks really good. The the Mario 35th anniversary logo uh, emblazoned on T-shirts. I'm probably going to pick one of those up myself. Yeah, I got to so, do it, right? Yeah, a lot to be excited about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did want to shout out um, really quickly as we're wrapping up here. There is an official 35th anniversary pin set that is going to be... A limited release, but the, the basically the way that you can earn this is on Nintendo's website. If you actually go to mario.nintendo.com and log into your My Nintendo account, there are six missions that you can do. And they're they're very simple stuff. It, it's it involves things like taking a Mario quiz and listening to the Super Mario music player and downloading a Mario wallpaper and things like that. Um, of course, one of the mission criteria is to actually purchase a copy of the game, which is required uh, to, in order to qualify for this pin, you do have to purchase a copy of Super Mario 3D All-Stars. And you can also earn a mission for like competing in the Mario Kart Tour, you know, tournament or whatever it is that they've got going on for that. But once you do all of that, once that's all, you know, once once that period is over, it's going from September 8th until the 22nd, you will qualify for this pin set. And uh, it is going to be, like I said, limited to how many they, they make. Um, but yes... You can go ahead and do that now so that you have all that stuff done early for whenever that kind of is made available. I, I will say I really like the pin set. This will be something I, I might actually try to go for. I, I don't really play Mario Kart Tour too much, but if I can knock that mission out, I would really, really like to get that pin set. Yeah, so you, you actually only, there are six missions. You only need to do five of them. So yeah, yesterday I basically did everything except for the Mario Kart Tour thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice so yeah i'm excited i i mean it's cool it's it's really nice right to just see like we we've been kind of ribbing nintendo a little bit off and on over the past few weeks about like hey man like everybody's talking about mario's 35th anniversary but you so it's it's kind of nice to see them finally sort of you know blow the doors off and and really kind of go all out for mario's 35th absolutely go oh 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 no. no 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 uh hey Seth um what's up hey hey guys um I guys I I gotta go thank you for listening uh, I have been the rightful ruler of Outworld Eric Kahn uh, I'm checking the baby monitor and uh, it looks like little Eric is trying to eat the paperboy oh God I oh, okay I, I, I've been Sethy Sethy panic we need to go take care of this you need to you need to go take care of little Eric oh that poor paperboy okay we'll catch you guys next week bye.